TM, we do a little fam. If you're hearing this, that means our season three mint is officially over. During the past two weeks, all of our premium editions were minted out and the support has been insane. We'd love to thank Clutch and NorCal Guy for kicking off the frenzy and everyone who minted one shortly after. We have Arsonic and Mrs. Arsonic, Shakai, Snowfro, Guppy, Art Pleb, Satoshi's Mom, Ambrosia, Cool, Old School 7-Eleven, Wizard98, and Brian Brinkman. Thank you all so much. And without further ado, let's dive into this week's episode. In our 11th and final episode of Season 3, we are joined by a modern-day renaissance man, O.V. Farouk, a.k.a. OSF. OSF is a well-known professional trader, art collector, artist, golfer, fighter, and talk show host, among other things. There's nothing this man cannot do. We dive into OSF's background growing up in England, how he met Mando, how he got into crypto and NFTs, his journey from artist to collector and back, how he pulled off one of the biggest board ape trades of the cycle, portfolio allocation thoughts, and so much more. As always, this podcast is for entertainment purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Andy, deeds, and guests may own NFTs discussed. This is Andy. Yeah, I'm Deeds. GM, GM, everybody. We're back again with another episode of We Do a Little Pod. This time we're joined by OSF. OSF is a, a long list of things amongst a, being a <laughs> trader, a project founder, an artist, a soccer player, and <laughs> many other things. Investor, collector, just overall deeply ingrained in the NFT space, Chad. So without further ado, OSF, thank you for joining us. Thanks, uh, thanks a lot for having me, guys. It's uh, it's a pleasure to be here. It's yeah. uh, nice to be in a You've a been cool place. having a hell of a week. Uh, yeah. You, I've, you, every, every fucking day, I'm like, geez, what are you doing today? He goes, well, I'm going to another OSF event. <laughs> <laughs> What's going on here? So, yeah, uh, we'll just jump into it. You've had a hell of a busy week. Um, <laughs> how, how did you end up getting involved with everything this week? Like, I feel like three, four nights out of the yeah, week, dude. you had events. It's been a lot. I think... Um, we always want to do like a wrecked guy event in NYC, and that's when we did the first one last yeah, year. Yeah, the box. Yeah, it's just like it's just a cool venue where it's like slightly different, and it's not just the same like slightly oh, different. Slightly yeah, different. slightly different is maybe an understatement. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I watch things be done with corn dogs that I did not know could be done with corn dogs. Yeah, yeah. Mrs. D said she was put off for, for corn dogs for life. So yeah, we used to have like an emergency thing of frozen corn dogs. <laughs> in the freezer like you know you'll move on to like chicken nuggets or something you know just something you just different. have like a meal yeah. in there that like you don't really want to eat but there might be a night where it's bad enough that it's like oh fuck it's yeah. corn dog night like it's never gonna never be again corn dog night never after again. that but never again. you choose the box that's known for its you know slightly different vibes yeah other things like you got involved in a soccer tournament i yeah <laughs> yeah unfortunately got into some as battle well from scars it. like yeah yeah, that looks like you were fighting, like, in a UFC fight. <laughs> yeah, New York City's tough, man, you know? Yeah, I'm just, like, I'm not a very aggressive person in normal life. Like, I'm pretty chilled out and laid back. I'm like, yeah, whatever, I'll go with the flow. But when it turns to sports, I just, like, something flips in me and I get, like, super competitive. And I used to play a lot of soccer or football, as we call it, uh, growing up. And I played at university and stuff. So there's, like, a Web3 FC tournament. So I was like, yeah, like, we're going to get a team and... Um, we had a rec guy team. I was like, everyone 
who wants to play let me know if you want to play but like rank yourself from one till five one out of five from like um good to- yeah your ability experience fitness and i like picked all the teams that way so i like, took it really seriously uh i told mando i was like look get your get your game on like it did a whole like team talk before and was we, mando on the team too mando's on the team mando got injured too actually uh, he of got two, is he yeah. good uh yeah mando's decent he's actually a very good goalkeeper okay um but he's got a good left foot as well as well so right. so have you been playing soccer your whole life yeah pretty much my whole life i've been uh i love sports really and that's probably that and cricket which is also a very english sport uh the two things i've played my whole life but i've done and then sports too did you grow up in england I grew up in England, yeah. I was born in Cambridge in England, which is like a small university town, probably like an hour out of London. So I was born there. My parents are from Bangladesh originally, so I'm like um, a second generation immigrant, I guess. Um, but yeah, I was born there, grew up there. I lived in London for about eight years, three years at university, five years working there, and I lived in NYC for three years and moved back to London, and, and that's where I am now. Nice, still yeah. holding it down. Yeah. Not when did you money. leave New York City? 2021. 2018 okay. to 21 is when I was here. So I spent all of COVID in yeah. NYC. Same. It was fun. It was like, as fun as like we were both for it. But I, I do think that there's a certain, like, there was a really, the city was so fucking weird. Yeah. And so I was, I, I'm not, where were you at in the city during the time? So I was, I was living in the West Village, but okay. our office was in Times Square. Okay. It's obviously like the most busiest part of NYC and. We had like the day where they told all of us to go home, work from yeah. home. But I left my keyboard in the office and we had like a special Bloomberg keyboard thing. So I had to go back to get it. And um, I got an Ubers were still running. So I got an Uber there and like I was driving through Times Square and it was like empty. Like yeah. not a single person there. I was like, wow, this is wild. Like, yeah. Yeah. I was, I was on the Upper East Side for all of yeah. it. I was like basically just by myself in, a, in my apartment. Uh, and it was like really weird because there was just fucking no one. And then there was this really interesting period of time in like june where it started to open up a little bit and like before things started to get bad again and everyone's like drinking on the street it was like this really fun time where like no one was going inside and no one really knew what was going on but everyone just like wanted to get the fuck out of their apartment and so i I think like you know obviously the whole covid side of it is not so great but the like i I think i'll look back on that time in new york city in like a bit of a fond way just because i'll never experience that again yeah Yeah, it was insane so wild what brought you to new york city it was for work like i so i used to work at barclays which is a british bank and the team i worked for were all american and so they're all based in london they all moved back eventually and they were like hey we want to uh, hire another trader do you want to move from london to the nyc funny story is they asked both mando and myself and mando was the first choice and he was like doing better than me at the time so they actually wanted to hire him um but his wife didn't want to move to mic so then like i was like the sloppy seconds basically <laughs> <laughs> so yeah i guess we have to ask too like i think when we think about myself we always think of you and mando together yeah so when did you meet him and like i know you've been friends for a long time yeah but when did you meet him and then i also want to ask about how you got into trading like from school yeah for sure so i met mando um i've known him for about 10 years i met him when we were working together at Barclays. So I'd been working there for a year. I was a junior trader and he was like the new junior trader and he was, we were on the same desk and on my desk there were just four traders. So it was a pretty small team. Okay. Um, so you were half the team, you and him. Yeah, we were half the team. We had like two senior traders, two junior traders. And um, yeah, that's the first time I met him. And he was kind of, I wasn't his boss, but I kind of like, I could give him shit to do basically. Um, uh, and that's, yeah, that's how we first met. And then, so before that, like, 
where did you go to school and what were you studying to get the trading? Because I feel like trading is a uh, kind of more of like a opaque thing. Like yeah. people, you don't go to school for being a trader. It's normally like you have some type of skill in yeah. uh, human psychology on top of math that you know, you end up also being comfortable with the risk. Yeah, I feel like everyone in college has, like, that one friend who's, like, trading options when you're a freshman in college, and I'm just like, I've never owned a stock in my life. I don't know shit about this. <laughs> like, good for you, man. And he's like, no, I trust you. I'm like, dude, I don't even know what words you're saying. Like, this is just, it's totally foreign to me. But yeah, like, how did you become a trader? Yeah, it's a good question. I think I've actually, I've always been an online DJ, and even before the trading stuff, I used to do, like, a lot of digital art online. Like, I learned how to code and stuff, and then I kind of just got into like the speculative stuff online um, just from like, I don't know, like watching like random YouTube stuff, like reading about certain things. So I always knew that like um, I was interested in that idea of like risk taking or gambling kind of stuff. And then you had a whole like credit crisis and stuff. And, um, you know, I watched like the Wall Street film. I just like was super interested in like that world and um, such a big short. Yeah, like all that, all that kind of stuff. And like when I was 18 or 17, I started buying my first stocks. And like, dude, the first thing I ever bought, which I actually still bag hold to this day, is a stock called Provexis. And I bought it was up 1,700%. And I literally bought it. And it was like 25p. And it's down it. like 99.9% <laughs> like ever since then. Just for a minor. Yeah. And I was like, it was all, it's like the same shit as it, as it is now. I was on this forum called the London Stock Exchange Forum. And everyone was like, yeah, Coca-Cola are going to buy these guys. It was like, I was like, I was, you know, no I was like 18. Here. I was like, oh my God. Like, and they're like, yeah, it's going to go to the same price as Coca-Cola. So I was like, <laughs> whoa, like I can make so much money. And like, I put in a decent amount of money. I think I put in like three grand into it, which when I was 18 was a lot. Yeah, of that's, that's all my yeah. months of work after tax and everything. Yeah, I had three jobs at the time and it was like everything I had in my bank account. I went all in and I just watched it go lower and lower and lower. And I never, I actually never sold it. I still own it. And it got split into like two different shares and stuff. And I I think it's worth like, I don't know, like a hundred pounds or something like that. <laughs> but it's more of like a reminder. It's a reminder. Yeah. It's, it's not like, oh, I want to realize this loss and offset yeah, stuff. It's exactly. more like, this reminds me where I came from. I feel like a lot of traders have that experience where they go yeah. all in on something and just get absolutely blown up. And they're like, oh. Yeah. Exactly. Like, but it was, yeah. a, it was a mistake I learned really early yeah. on. And I didn't even, you know what? I didn't even really mind. I was like, oh, like, ha, whatever. Like, let me just move on to the next thing. And like, <laughs> shit. Yeah, I just started punting around, like, or, like spread betting and, like, oil and stuff. I had no idea what I was doing. I was like, yeah, I reckon it's going to go lower. I'm just like, sure. <laughs> and then it goes higher. I was like, ah, oh, fuck. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> but, like, I did that stuff really early on. I knew yeah, that, yeah. I knew I wanted to, to learn how to do it properly. So I knew I wanted to be a trader in an institutional environment. And so, um yeah how, what do you study for it i just knew that i had to do something like quantitative so i studied maths and economics i went to a university called the london school of economics which is like quite well known for f- being a feeder into investment banks and stuff nice. so um you know i was one of those people that when i was like 17 or 16 or 17 i was like i really know what i want to do um when i graduate and that was that was it that's a time. big advantage in life yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, feel like. yeah. I, d- I definitely was lucky with that too where I, for me it was like oh i want to write code like I, I i took like a class in eighth grade and I was like, oh, yeah, this is what I want to do. Like, I, I figured it out. I, I, all I knew is I want to play video games. <laughs> <laughs> and I like, tried to go pro a couple of times. It just didn't work. And I'm like, I just want to play games. <laughs> like, I don't know. Like, I'm going to get a government job and just like, 
Like Play League of Legends games. is fucking sick, <laughs> like, man. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, and I got true. really, really lucky, but it was more just like I don't know what I want to do. And that was the thing where like a lot of guests we talked to, they knew like they either want to be an artist or they want to do yeah. this and that. Like you're someone who is simultaneously both a good trader but also an artist. Before you were trading sixteen, seventeen, were you also creating art? Did you always have a passion for art as well with the trading? Yeah, it's a good question. I think um I've have always had a passion for art and I've always drawn a lot, painted a lot as a kid. And actually I actually come from quite an artistic family. Like um not my parents, but my brother both my younger brothers are very artistic. A lot of my cousins are and a couple of them are architects, but they actually make big canvas paintings and stuff. So it's actually always been in my family and something that I've always done in my spare time. And digital art, like when I was thirteen I like made my own like skate team and forums and stuff and like I started creating digital art and deviant art and I just did it because like you couldn't make money out of it then so I just did it because it was like kind of fun to do yeah and I remember um I didn't have any like any like to get a tablet it was like 400 or 500 quid or whatever it was they were expensive then I didn't have like pocket money to do that so I'd like try and draw things with my mouse like on photoshop and it was just like so bad i remember <laughs> i always remember thinking like, i could create so much better stuff like if because I, I was like good at drawing but i couldn't but do it with the a mouse, mouse. Yeah. it's impossible i know so it's like, trying I, to make a circle yeah, or like a yeah. clean line exactly. with that fucking thing and you're just shaking and it's exactly it was, it was so painful and you make it you try and like cut something out you'd make a mistake and have to like restart the whole thing i was just like oh it was, it was so painful the fucking lasso tool <laughs> yes, the, exactly. the magnetic lasso latches yeah. on to yeah. a, a point that you thought was not possible to latch yeah. on to. Yeah. you misclick just highlighted the whole fucking thing yeah your... exactly it was so brutal but i've always loved doing it and um i guess like when i turned 18 and went to university and i kind of figured out what i wanted to do that's where my focus went i just Really, to be honest with you, like, um, after I turned 18, the next time I drew something or did something creative was in COVID in 2020. Yeah. So um, about like a 13 or 14 year hiatus. But, you know, I want to go back. I think all my old art is on my computer back home, which is my parents' place. So um, I'm going to go back. I, I think I remember the password to it. You'll figure it out. Yeah, it's probably it's, some it's weird in shit. Here somewhere. <laughs> just, just keep fucking beating it off the keyboard. It'll come back. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I'd love to go and like dig up all that old stuff. I actually deleted my Deviant art profile because um, it was attached to my name. I didn't want people to see my art because mm. I was kind of like embarrassed by it a bit. So, uh, I, so I feel that gone. pain. I had like an old photo bucket account yeah, where I would so do, retro. Uh, I would try to make like signatures for game battles or like yeah form. yeah I do the same stuff. It would be all around like me going to YouTube, watching a tutorial, copying everything they do, like b- downloading the same brush pack and fucking copying how they make the clouds and copying the text. And then like I looked at it ten years ago when I was in college and was just like I'm nuking this. <laughs> I don't ever <laughs> want to see this again. Yeah. And now ten years later, I'm like. Why did I do that? Yeah, like, that account, down, like, it would yeah. have been fun to go back and look at it. So I hope you can find, I hope the computer still works. I'm sure it, your parents, if your parents are anything like mine, it's like your room might be the complete same it was. Yeah, when that's, that's kind of like, like my room. Yeah. Like, yeah. your mom might go in and still dust it sometimes, <laughs> but like, everything is exactly how it was. It's like a time capsule. Yeah, exactly. In. Yeah, it is weird going back there. I mean, when I visit my parents, I still sleep there. Yeah. But it's kind of weird. I think it's now changed because. I kept it the same until I got married. And then when my wife started coming up, she was like, I feel like I'm in like a 14-year-old like, teenage boy. <laughs> yeah. And then my mom you know, changed everything. So. <laughs> That's a, um, 
with the wife and the family like are you close to your family now being in london growing up an hour away like do you see them pretty often yeah like you know it's close to uh it's close to where i live so it's easy to just drive over there for the weekend and stuff i think um you know when i lived in nyc it was a bit more difficult because i didn't travel back as much and then did they ever come visit you? In they New came York? to visit me once, and my mom has um, one of her brothers lives here. Uh, her brother lives here. I think it was tough during COVID because the visa that I was on didn't let me leave and re-enter the US, and that's I had to like live here to work. And to be honest with you, that's the reason why I moved back because um, even like after COVID and everything had happened, they still had these travel restrictions, and I was like, well, this sucks. Like, I literally can't go home, and they can't change my visa. I'm just basically stuck here. So um, for me, like. It wasn't so much that like not going home, not being able to go home for a year and a half was like bad as much as it was. It was just like, I feel claustrophobic. I feel like I can't move anywhere or get out if I wanted to. And what if there was like an emergency and I had to go back and I was stuck and all that kind of stuff. So yeah. the 2021 um, was the year we met. Like, yeah. The year we met. So yeah. Um, did you move back like earlier in 2021, like before we met or is it later in the year? So... I was in NYC until April 21. So I started my NFT stuff while I was in, in NYC. Okay, but I, I got to know you a lot better over the summer. So over the you summer. Were back in London. Yeah, I was, um, I was actually, I remember, I was actually, my wife's from the Caribbean. So we spent a couple of months there before going back to London. Uh, and I had some time off in between work. So I wasn't working, which was so clutch for that summer. Um, that was a crazy summer. That was yeah. the best time that not be working. It was the best time ever to not be was, working. Yeah, it was the best. It was just yeah, like you know, you, you kind of like count your, count your lucky stars, and that was one of them. But I remember sitting like in the car with my like mother-in-law trying to like mint these um, bid on pegs, basically, and I like, had to get her to hotspot <laughs> me because I didn't have any, like uh, Caribbean pegs. Wi-Fi. I was like trying to like message Dee's like, which one are you going for? And we, going we had for. a whole thing <laughs> where him and I were just like looking at pegs, and we're like. These are clearly really good value at one and two ETH. Yeah, right? remember you talking like, about it too. We're not crazy, I yeah. don't think. And we're like, well, we kind of want to buy all of them, but like, we don't want to buy each other's. Yeah. Like some we might have bid over each other on because we both really liked them. But a lot of time it was like, all right, I'm going to bid on these three or four. You take those three or four. Yeah. And then like, if somebody else cares about these, then maybe we'll fight for them. But yeah. like, it was just time where it was like really... It was. It was it was really fun discussing that on the way up when we were buying them, and it was really fun to undercut each other on the yes, way down. Yes, on the way down. It's like, oh, you want 75? I'll, I'll take 69. Oh, you want 69? I'll take 42. Oh, you want 42? I'll take 9. The race to the bottom of pegs was fucking brutal. It was, it was devastating. I was it was just like, all of us as well. Yeah, I was getting people DMing me, and they were like, why are you listing it for so cheap? And I was like, if you think it's cheap, then fucking buy it again. You think it's too cheap? Here you go. You can have it. Oh man, that was a roller coaster. <laughs> it was one of those things like at one time you're looking at like the paper value of what theoretically yeah, those pegs could be. You're like, well, it's yeah. like four million dollars. Yeah, my pegs were worth seven figures. Yeah. I was like, holy shit, I'm a genius. Yeah. But I love Pepe. <laughs> <laughs> one of those things are at the time, you know, and right now if you bought them when we originally bought them, like you're still up. Yeah. You're yeah, still up. You're still, you're I still think up, yeah. I, I have one right now. It's Got to t- talk about floors and shit. It's on the floor at like nine ETH, but like it's still like that sells. Yeah, like, like a nine X. Yeah, that's actually what about money. In dollar terms? Um, that summer. Yeah, that just, was pretty high. Yeah, but I think yeah. pegs was before the big. Yeah, the maybe big maybe you might actually yeah. be about even in do- like a. I mean, an ETH, ETH right was probably like twenty five hundred, probably. Yeah. So. yeah. Uh, yeah, I have that, a really stupid question before we get into other stuff. I don't know why yeah. I was thinking about this. When you check the price of crypto, do you check it in pounds or dollars? 
I check it in dollars, actually. Okay. Yeah, I don't check it in pounds. Have you always been in dollar mode since trading? Like, is it just easier? Yeah. I mean, look, everyone quotes ETH in dollars, so I check it in dollars. I do look at, when I look at my portfolio, I do have that priced in pounds. Yeah. Um, but when I refer to prices, always dollars. It's just like, okay. it makes more sense. I don't when, know why I was thinking about that, but it was on the <laughs> When you're getting in the NFT space more in 2021, were you already aligned with Mando on just like, we're going to do this together or... Did you both come in separately, look at it, and be like, you know, we have all this experience together. Why yeah. don't we just combine forces? That's a very good question, actually. I think um, I actually, but we both bought our first ever crypto in 2021, so we were late to the crypto game. I bought Bitcoin Jan 21, and then he got into NFTs, and he was like, "You should look at this stuff." And I was like, "Oh, I just got my head around Bitcoin. Like, I don't want to buy JPEG." Like, Fuck a whole other thing. Yeah. So I wasn't with him on day one, and then I saw he bought. Um, Hackatow piece for 18 grand and sold its seed phrase for 250 grand in the like, space of three weeks. And you're I was like, like, okay, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, I was like, okay. <laughs> you've piqued my interest, okay. Yeah, okay. yeah, that, you've piqued my interest, exactly. So, um, so I started getting involved, but we weren't doing it together. We were discussing what we thought were good, what was good, and we weren't like bidding against each other or anything like that, but we had our own portfolios. Um, but there were times when it got competitive, you know, when, when I was like, it's like the apes, right? Like I was, yeah, I, the ape story is the... the yeah, the original was like, I was like, dude, mint, I was like, literally have all these WhatsApp messages to him. I was like, do me a favor, just mint some, just like do it. And he wouldn't do it. And then it works out as a good trade for me. And then you kind of get this like competitive thing. And he had other things as well. Like um, he actually got back into the apes after he told me to sell them. And then he, <laughs> and then he crushed it on that. So and I was like, damn, that's really okay. annoying. So um, we felt like instead of having this like competitive thing where we were kind of like, not trading against each other, but it's like, why don't we just do but it together? You always, well, because I feel like when you have someone who you're good friends with, like, you want to see them succeed, but it's also fun to beat them and shit yeah, on them. And exactly. Like, like, me and my exactly. buddies are in Telegram, it's like, oh, you sold too soon, you fucking idiot, or whatever. Yeah. But at the end of the day, you want them to do well. And it's not uh, like, that's exactly right. So it's like a like a fun competitive. That's 100% yeah. right. Yeah. We're not, and, we wish it, wish each other well, but there's always yeah. the fun element. And when you were at Barclays trading together, it, that seemed, you said you're on a team. So it's like yeah. you're trading. Well, you have, again, at Bart, you have your own personal PL. So it was the same thing there where it was like, we're sort of competing okay. against each other there as well. So we've kind of been in that environment for a long, t- for a long time, which is why I think we feel comfortable working together because we know we've done it successfully for a long time. But, um, but yeah, we, you know, it, came, it took us about six or seven months of trading separately to be like, let's just do it together and let's just join our stuff. And, yeah. and then that was storing, together. was that after, so DGENs is like what I think of in the summer. Yeah. Did you start collecting after that came out then? Um, six I'm, I'm like trying to like in my head i'm like looking at the 2021 calendar and i'm like june july i think that was around when dgens came out and then i'm like six months after april was october somewhere around there yeah. but that that summer is when we got to know each other i hosted a space for the DJs. yeah i remember and it was just like uh <laughs> the first time i got to talk to you but uh, not talk to you but sit down and yeah. actually talk to you and it was like oh i just thought you were like the punk like i just yeah. remember you as your punk yeah and yeah. then it was like, well, now I'd never think of you as your punk. You're one of the few people who I... I actually I, couldn't even... I don't think I could pick your punk out at this point. Oh, wow. There you go. It's been so long that you've been your wrecked guy. I'm not sure yeah, I could do it. I know, the crazy hair, the, the red one. I had... Well, yeah. What? The one well, you're the one that before that. Purple hat, yeah. Yeah. I think you was the crazy hair one. Yeah. I, for whatever reason. Yeah. That's the one, like, in my That's head. the one that sticks. Yeah. I liked that one. That was a good one. The Ed Sheeran punk. That's what I called it. <laughs> <laughs> the Ed Sheeran punk. I feel like with any artist though like you have to use your profile picture like you Absolutely. oh yeah if, you, he, if he had a punk as his pf here right now i'd be like 
Yeah. Dude, but that, no, it's like you're you're a wrecked guy. That was a problem with DJs because like we made DJs and I was like, I don't want any of this shit PFP. <laughs> and neither did Mando. And then and Mando then, one the, day was like, dude, you have to have a DJs to do PFP. He's like, oh, I want, but I want to have my punk. Like, um, but I think that's why when we made when I made wreck guys, like, I just want to just make something that I would actually have, and then I can like have it as my PFP. And the, um, the one thing I love about what you've done is like the DJs people have always yeah. been along for the ride. It wasn't yeah. like DJs came out and you're like, oh man, like we should have did the art differently. And then you're like, all right, new project. It was like, all right, like anyone who had DJs has been grandfathered into like yeah. everything you've done. Like I minted, I don't know, 10 or 20 DJs. One point I was giving them the artist for free because you were doing a monthly contest yeah. and buying like a few pieces from artists in the community. Those artists, some of them held the pass or held the, the DJs. Then they got this pass and then this pass gave them like a wrecked guy and the tabs yeah. some of them minted like rare wrecked guys got like <laughs> five plus eth from it and it's like wow i just like gave them that dijon for free because like i didn't i knew i would never use it as a pfp <laughs> i really like what have you like learned along the way and like how do you think about um providing value to the people who were there you know early with you because you clearly always thought about that you weren't just yeah. like oh i'm gonna do a new thing it was like oh well how do I make sure that the people who have been supporting me the longest are yeah. still, you know, coming with me? Yeah, I think that's, look, in this world, you have things that, that are rugs and you have things that are failures. And I think the difference between the two of them is that rugs are when people intentionally mean, mean to screw people, people over. And then you have this like middle ground where it's like, I didn't mean to screw people over, but I, maybe I wasn't thinking about it the right way or wasn't giving um, enough thought to her um making it work or, or bringing them along for the ride or whatever. Or it just so, didn't work out. Or it just didn't work out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So for us, like, look, we DJs didn't work out. It was the art. We actually think the art's still hilarious, by the way, and you should, like... It's hilarious. It's funny. You should browse through it one day. But it's not, like, what you want your profile to <laughs> Exactly. Like, like, you don't it's want... It's not it... going on your tombstone. Yeah. But it's funny. Yeah, that's exactly right. And so, you know, we realized we messed it up, and it was like, well, we do want to be in the space, and we like the space, and we feel strongly about it, and we want to be net contributors not taking away from it so it was just like how do we just do something different um but keeping it within the dgens like ecosystem or community whatever and think of an idea that would work and then just be like cool this idea we're not it's not going to be a paid mint it's just going to be for everyone who still owns the dgens and then we get another roll of the dice basically and that was the idea i mean we still haven't done away from like my personal art that i've sold we still haven't done a paid mint since the original DGENs mint in July. No, hundred percent. Yeah, you had yeah. regens, which you could burn the regens <laughs> yeah. to get regens, and they looked a little more brutal, a little more yeah. serious, a little more like they could kill somebody. So if it was your PFP, you looked a little harder. But then yeah. after that, you know, or maybe around the same time, you start writing reports for yeah. projects, which kind of like separated what you were doing from other communities where. You could just go into the DGEN's Discord with your DGEN and just get a whole bunch of data, like basically briefs and summaries of yeah. all the top projects. So, like, why is Cool Cats popular? I don't know. Let me read the Cool Cats report. And then they like dive into Clawn, dive into History of the Cat, all that stuff. Yeah. And like, now I think you probably have like, what, 200 or 150? Three, 300 reports now we have. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. crazy. Yeah. So, like, yeah. The people... is it just you and Mando writing them, or do you have other people no. on the team who are... We have a team of analysts now that write them. Originally, it was just Mando and I writing them ourselves. Yeah. That's how we started out doing it. And, you know, and I imagine it's mostly been people like 
offering to contribute. I would, I, yeah. At this point, I feel like you get some random guy who's like, hey, man, you don't have one for this. I fucking love this project. Yeah, like, yeah. Like, it gets a bit... I mean, we have a good team of objective analysts and we compensate them through the royalties we generate. And, you know, all the royalties we get, we just put it back into the projects, basically, and it helps us fund things and, and keep things going. But, yes, yeah, it's, it's wild because it's around this time last year where we started like carving out this idea of what we wanted it to be. And, you know, now we have, we merged with Flips Finance. We have the whole analytics platform yeah. Right yeah. Now and all the reports and everything. So, um, yeah, I think our, our thought was like, how do we make someone want to own a DJ? And it's not for the art. <laughs> <laughs> but so, what, do, what, what else is, what do the DJs like? Like they like getting knowledge to yeah, be exactly. a degenerate about. And then yeah. what is your background from? You have all this knowledge right. of trading different markets, right. looking at the macro environment, applying that to yeah. a, a niche market that is still impacted by those levers of whatever interest rates and stock prices and whatnot. Yeah. And it was like a unique perspective that not that many other people were getting anywhere else. And then you had the smart idea to just do the path where yeah. you were basically like, if you own the DGENs or the regens, you're going to get airdropped a pass. And then this pass, since you never really wanted the DGENs or the regens for the art anyway, like the pass is where the utility will be. Yeah. And then if you want the regens or DGENs for the art, like they'll always be there. Feel free. Yeah. And I thought that was really smart too, because then you gave somebody more of like a fungible way of quantifying like, Oh, this is like the value of the utility versus like oh, yeah. it's my DJs. Yeah, and yeah. Then I'm sure maybe that also makes it easier to trade them because they're just like a pass rather than anything else. Yeah, I think so. I think it. I think it got to a point where DJs and regens like started having some value again, and people were like, "Why?" And they were like, what's <laughs> like "Why is this worth point three? Yeah. Or 40? And they're like, "What's the difference between a DJs and a regens?" <laughs> and you're like, "And so we realized that the branding was off because." Um, it wasn't a PFP project anymore. No, it, it was, was like, like a, wait, 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 it, you it had was... to burn multiple DGENs to get a regens, but like the floor price is the same. Yeah, and then they were like, shouldn't regens be higher? And we were like, yeah, but like DGENs is like the OG project. <laughs> <laughs> it's the history, the provenance of it. Just look at the art. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But then like wrecked guys, I feel like really hit at a critical time. Yeah. People were feeling wrecked. And then it has become part of like an bigger zeitgeist yeah well it's also such a unique set of artwork in the pfp space especially at the time it came out you know now obviously you get derivatives and shit but like at the time there was really nothing like that and still still really isn't anything that is super close to it that's notable yeah i felt like with with that one i felt like i got i had that feeling in again around maybe it's probably around january last year actually we had like cool cats alien friends like um uh, cool man universe and i was just like all this stuff looks the same it's, it's like, like plushy doodles, wannabes or something pastel, i was like i was like look life isn't all like sunshine rainbows like and i was like instead of having pastel colored backgrounds what what wouldn't it be cool to have something that's like a black background and like neon colors which is very like in your face and yes. hard hitting and that was kind of like the inspiration of creating it in that style i think which is already in like the style of my artwork anyway yeah um and then there was there wasn't anything that was animated it was mm-hmm. like you know we I don't. I know on Twitter you can't have animated PFPs, but you can on Discord. Um, you can on Coinbase NFT. <laughs> uh-huh. You can on other. I yeah. mean, I always no. use it on Discord. Yeah, and I think it's nice. I, I wish more platforms did it like Discord, where you just hover over hover it. Hover over it, yeah. And exactly. then it shows, but then it's not just like you have uh, X copy just blasting you in the face yeah. all the time. That's the best way to do it. So, so yeah, I just you know, but it was also just meant to be like a. It was never meant to 
be what it became i just wanted to do it as a fun art project and i thought of the idea in january and i just kind of did it on this as like a side project over the weekends and evenings and stuff and it took me about four or five months to complete it and by the time i did and by the time we launched it then everything just puked and crashed <laughs> and um it was just the timing was just... you never thought like while you were making the art like maybe i should be selling some more in case this is like prophetic like maybe I'm... yeah <laughs> there's dude there's some weird prophecies in some of the stuff that i've drawn like there's that piece the professional dj four piece that i did in july last year is that with all the it's got all the screens but one of the screens mm-hmm. is like an ftx screen with like a big red candle and this is like three months before ftx collapsed <laughs> and I, I i don't even remember drawing it no yeah. so i was like, like oh what would be funny like finance ftx yeah yeah kind of weird <laughs> well it's funny because i was i think i took a picture of that piece last night and tweeted it but i just yeah. cropped out the goblin it was like oh, blue yeah. chip nft the goblin <laughs> and it was like you know, last week they just rugged all the metadata or whatever, yeah. and people were bitching about it. <laughs> it was just like stuff like that to yeah. work, and you're like, "Oh shit!" Like I didn't even realize. But yeah. when we were at the thing last night, it was just up there, and I was like, "This fucking goblin." <laughs> but it's very like, um, it's a piece that really captures the culture at the moment. Like, yeah, I think a lot of your work is like that, where you look at it and it's like the guy golfing and fucking 69 balls left. It's like, there's like meme numbers everywhere. Yeah. Like the news article headlines are always something funny. And yeah. it, people are going to look back maybe in like 10, 20 years and get an idea of what we thought just based off of like what you showed on the pieces. Yeah. I just, I love like, I just love the internet culture side of things. Like I love all the memes. I love zeitgeist. And no, I'm not the only artist who does that kind of stuff. People does it literally every day. Yeah copy has elements of it in his work but i just find it like i'm a very nostalgic person i just love capturing a moment in time and having it in there and then being able to look back on it and now like with that piece like here we are almost a year later being able to look back and laugh at it and yeah, i just like... i just love that uh love that kind of feeling basically so um and you can't put it into like every single piece of part of your work because then it dilutes the effect of it and um you know it's why i haven't really done like a a new completely new professional dj piece this year and there's been a lot of stuff this year that I could put into it. Do you um, have like uh, running lists on your phone where you're like, yeah. these are the ones <laughs> that I need to include like yeah. in the yeah. next piece, nice. like this shit? I have, I literally have like a notes on my phone. <laughs> yeah. Every every time something comes to my head, I, I, bet. I write it down. You have to offload it because then yeah. it's like when it comes you time, yeah. you need that fucking list. Yeah. How, what, you're somebody who I feel like has like a pretty prolific uh, output of like, you're a very productive person. What is like a day in your life look like? <laughs> Is it like a wide, I'm assuming it's a wide variety depending on like if you have events or if you're yeah. grinding art or if you have, I don't know. You're somebody who just does stuff every day. Like you're on spaces every day. You're, I'm assuming, creating every day. You're also trading. Like what does your average day look like? Yeah, it's, um, they're very busy, almost too busy, I would say. And I think it's getting quite a lot now. So I need to figure out ways to um we need to do a lot of delegating delegating it a bit exactly but usually you know if i'm back home in london i usually wake up around 6 a.m or something like that get up pretty early um i've always got to get a workout in before i start my day so if it's like going to play golf or just like um hitting the gym or whatever i usually just do like a workout class or something like that and then get to my desk and the first thing i do is i read like the news i look at crypto prices nft prices then i write that daily summary thing that i do every day so that's a really good way for me to start my day personally because i like just get up to speed with everything 
So I do that. Um, what time is it about when you're done with that? So generally, if I don't play golf, it's usually out by about nine a.m. London time. If okay. I do play golf, it's usually out maybe like two or three hours later. Um, and then, so we have Canary Labs, which yeah, nine a.m. London time is like three, four a.m. for us. Four a.m. Yeah, Eastern yeah. time. Yeah, so it's usually. I think the U.S. guys like it because it's usually it's out. live when you wake up. Yeah, it's live when that's you wake big. up. That's yeah. big. So it's, it can be the first thing. A lot if you're, of if, you're uh, if you have that out by like six thirty, seven a.m. Eastern, like you get everybody in America. Yeah, exactly. So it's going to have like a. It's now um, on an email distribution as well, so people like to read it on email, which is which is good. So um, we get that out, and we have all the Canary Lab stuff I'm doing with with Mando, and we have another partner called Ben, who's like the behind the seat, the third silent partner of yeah. Canary Labs, but. We usually have like a call to run through everything we're doing. So like, here's what we're doing on Rec Guys, here's what we're doing on DJs, here's what we're doing on the other stuff. That usually lasts about one. So does does Canary Labs own the IP for all of those projects? Yeah. So Rec Guy is CC0, but yeah, I yeah. guess like the Rec logo itself has yeah. some IP to it or the Rec brand. Or like, I guess like runs the operations. Yeah. 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 That's all, it all fall, falls into Canary Labs. Basically. Okay. That's what I was going to ask about that. That's interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it all falls into Canary Labs. Um, and there's a couple of other things that we have there as well. Do you have any other employees there other than the three of you? Um, we don't have. We do have one other employee um, based in Portugal in Madeira, um, and then we have other people who we work with who aren't like official employees, contractors, but contractors or, yeah. who are who, who are pretty close. Um, so yeah, that call usually takes one or two hours because it's always like a lot of ideas and then spitballing. So like we have to like, do this and do that, and by then it's usually about like. I don't know, 12 p.m. or 1 p.m. my time. Okay. Then I have to do all this admin stuff, like respond to emails, schedule meetings. And then by the time I do that, I've like, I feel like I haven't done any actual work that I want to do. It's rug radio, so I've got to do that for like one and a half hours. That's when I usually spend some time trying to draw things because I, I can like multitask. Yeah, yeah. When you're on the spaces, you can know like Farouk's probably driving the bus. Yeah, Farouk and Mando lead it and I just and kind of like pitch you might in. come as a market commentary. Yeah. But, I mean, a lot of times I'm doing the night show stuff. There's like, time to do some mid-journey prompting like yeah get exactly. some of this going exactly. because it's time in the day where it's like must stay hey osf hey avi hey Dees. like yeah. for this thing it's like you know you can at least turn off some of it yeah and yeah. i feel that so you're done with rug radio what time is it that's 5 p.m my time so <laughs> then i have all my calls because they're all everyone's in the u.s and especially like uh on the west coast 5 p.m my time is like 9 a.m west coast time so um, whether it's like doing podcasts or you know trying to talk to like potential partners like DJs or rec guy whatever like so I'm usually done I don't know I try I've for a while I was like finishing at like 9 p.m. just on calls and I was like this is too much not, so yeah. I've given myself a hard stop at, at like 6 p.m. if it's important I'll go to 7 p.m. and then after that it's like I'm just gonna like switch off and um yeah spend some time with your wife and, yeah like... spend time with my wife like we'll go out for dinner and stuff and if we're watching tv and chilling and stuff then i might just draw something on my ipad because it's like relaxing i don't find that like stressful or like view it as work but um but yeah it's just like i had this constant feeling where like it gets to 5 p.m and i'm like fuck i've just done nothing on my list of things to do um because i have to do all this other stuff so it's pretty intense but to be honest i love it do you ever try to wake up and create at like 6 a.m rather than I actually did that today, yeah. believe it or not. I did that today, but that was because I had to do... I did like a rug radio stub drop thingy. And I oh, had, yeah, yeah. I, to, I just saw that. Yeah, I had to finish that. Um, oh. <laughs> I actually finished it three days ago, and they were like, we really need it today. 
they actually said we needed it yesterday so i was like and i got home i actually ended up staying a bit longer yesterday i got home about midnight i was like i'm just gonna sleep wake up at 6 a.m finish it off so that's the only time i've done it but i think i'm definitely my perfect creation time i would say is about 9 or 10 a.m like a nice sunny morning and i don't and i don't have any calls or meetings for the day so i'm really like feel relaxed and i can just like chill on my couch and draw things that's the time when i'm like i have done my best stuff and i feel like most Mm -hmm. inspired and, and creative I want to ask a bit more about Rug Radio. Yeah. So you're doing trading stuff. You're posting on Twitter. You're dropping all this stuff. Where along the way did you just kind of like stumble into also doing this like more like voice radio show essentially? And was that something that you had previously had interest in or just kind of happened? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I started doing random Twitter spaces and stuff, you know, mainly after D's and beanie back in back in the, that, the oh, those halcyon man. days of summer, <laughs> summer one day i want to get beanie on this podcast <laughs> we're gonna get him in I, I actually think we could do it i, I like not kidding i think you could I, he still likes me yeah and because like i, I think i don't I really talk about him at all yeah, he, he loves you yeah. yeah and so i think you could do it yeah i think it's possible yeah um, I, I think if i just send one message it's like hey i said some fucked up shit i'm sorry like i'd probably be good <laughs> maybe that's maybe that is it would be an incredible podcast. It would be totally unhinged. <laughs> okay, sorry. So much, I mean, yeah, not to get into Beanie, but there's like probably like 15,000 messages yeah. in my Discord. I mean, he's a sharp dude. Between me and him. Shit. <laughs> wow. I, when, when nobody knew, like, this is like December 2020, January Yeah, this is when Top Shot was... We were just like in the Punks Discord. Yeah. And we were talking about everything. Like, he was really early to Luna, trying to get me getting into Luna. And like, yeah. he was deep into Top Shot super yeah. early and was like buying art box. Like, we were just talking about everything because the NFT market at that time was so small. Yeah. Like, you could go on the Punks Discord and just know everything that happened. Yeah. It's like before hashtags were out. Like it was just like a different time. Yeah. And I don't know what happened to him because he at that time, like he was always a little controversial, but he was like a pretty normal dude who like obviously was very smart and knew what he was doing. And then over time, he just turned into like fucking Vince McMahon. It was so weird. Like there was like a time early on where like the red flags were going off, where he was like telling me about these devs he has in like South America (laughs) and how he like pays them pennies and then like runs these casinos that kick people off who are winning players like almost immediately well, for what it's worth that's what every casino does so that's not yeah yeah, yeah yeah it was just like like it was like first week or two of getting to know him and this is like oh this is what i do to make money and i'm like that feels weird but anyway all right back, so back to rug radio back, back to so, rug radio so you hear beanie talk and you're like wow i'm inspired yeah i want to be, be that like guy him. you're like yeah. beanie <laughs> no. you're learning spanish so you can hire some south american <laughs> devs you're like shit there's some alpha here <laughs> Exactly. Wait, roll exactly. bit might just be. Wait. <laughs> 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 I plead the fifth. <laughs> but anyway, rogue radio. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I just I kind of enjoyed doing it. It was a great forum for discussion and stuff. And then, you know, people were on Clubhouse, which was obviously successful for a while then. Um, but then when when Mando and I quit our jobs, uh, we had all the spare time because we didn't have any projects then, and we were kind of like we had DJs and we were trying to build it up, but all the spare time so we just were like let's just do like a you know a twitter space every two or three weeks and just talk about the market so we started doing that and we didn't really know Farouk that well to be honest with you i had a couple of interactions with him 
the first one actually wasn't a good one. Like I think I was calling him out for something like this. That was my first interaction yeah. with him too. Yeah, <laughs> that, that seems to happen sometimes with Farouk. Yeah, he, he uh, yeah. Um, it's a very polarizing person. Yeah. yeah, he is. And then we got talking in DMs and stuff, and he apologized, and then you know we ended up becoming friends. But um, he was like, "Hey, I'm starting this rag radio thing," and Mando and I didn't really have big profiles then. You know, like we were mm-hmm. kind of like known within some people, but we weren't like as big as you know. I think I had maybe had just got to 10,000 followers and Dee's was already at like 150 or whatever. So that was like the difference in between yeah. uh, like the, the profiles then. And so, and Farouk was already at 200 or whatever. So imagine like, yeah, like this will be good because right now we're doing these spaces and we get like 20 people coming to listen. If we do it on Brug Radio with Farouk, then you know, we'll have a bigger audience and it'll be a good platform for us to just discuss stuff. So um, we started hosting our own show on Rug Radio where it was just the two of us. And then the Farouk said, hey, I have an idea. Why don't we make it for the three of us and let's just do it every day. And at first I was like, man, I don't really want to do like a space, commit to a space like every, every day. Yeah. That's intense. Um, but, you know, over time it's just, it, we've figured different things out. It, it works quite well. And it's just ended up being like part of my day and a part of my life, really. Like a lot of my life does revolve around that. And it's, it's nice. It gives you like every day. Because like, you know, when you, you're sitting at home and you're just working on your laptop and my room's empty. There's no one else there. You kind of feel a bit lonely and you don't have the same you know, when you're on a trading floor, there's like hundreds of traders around you and it's like a lot of camaraderie and you don't have that in, in this. So that for me is like, and now we do it on video and stuff. Like I get to see Mando's face, get to see Farouk's face. We can like laugh and joke and the things video visual better. interaction. Yeah, it's just, it's a good yeah, video part of huge. my day. I've been enjoying a video a lot yeah. more, just even for Game the night. And, so yeah. I don't want to get too much into the specifics here, but yeah. how does, so you guys do this on Rug Radio. Yeah. Do you guys have, are you, paid by rug radio or do do you have equity in rug radio like what's the kind of agreement there that's a good question so rug radio is completely decentralized stand. so um mad and i bought loads of rug radio nfts and by virtue of that we have a lot of rug token we have a lot of the nfts um the rug radio also had a team of advisors so at some point last year they appointed loxley who's now now the co-ceo with rogue they had mike kriak who's ceo of consensus mesh and mando was the third advisor so Mm -hmm. Um, initially that started out as being an unpaid advisor role that then turned into a paid advisor role for, for Michael. And it was kind of like the rug radio core team. Um, so there is some conversation from, uh, from that because Michael was involved in the, and this is just Michael, by the way, so this is not me. Um, not Canary Labs. Just, yeah. No, well, it's, it's, I guess it's kind of Canary Labs because like Michael himself doesn't take the money and we um, send it to Canary Labs and Canary Labs itself has an advisory arm, which is what, the third guy ben does mostly so mm-hmm. we kind of branch it under that but um mando's involved like all the day a lot of the day-to-day operational stuff like directional stuff so he's spending a lot more time on rug radio way more operationally than, okay. than, yeah way more time than i do and for that he is compensated um but rug radio has a system where if you um that rewards its creators or rewards its hosts whereas if you where if you get sponsorship um the hosts are able to retain i think it's I can't remember if it's eighty five percent or I think it's eighty five percent of the sponsorship revenues, and then fifteen percent goes into the DAO. So from that perspective, when we get um, uh, when we get sponsorship money, we we are able to yeah. take that money. And for us, again, we put that into Canary Labs. We use it to buy back our DJs access. Yeah, you or, guys have or, bought back a lot. Yeah, or buy rec guys back or whatever. Like or the, host these events and, and yeah, host these events. So we don't take it out for ourselves. Basically. Well, yeah, you obviously pay yourself or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But we just view that as like let's just keep it all in this bucket of like corporate stuff, and it helps us with our projects. So that's how the compensation works but it's great it's great for like you know there's like a the there's a french show and those guys have just got um sponsorship and 
those hosts now get paid to create there's like a really big chinese show as well and that's really cool it's a cool way to like you know podcasting and hosting is a thing it's a big thing in the world now but people found it tough to monetize it and i think yeah <laughs> with rug radio it's like you can go to someone and say i'm a rug radio host and this is a brand now and people will listen to it you it, get, it allows you to get sponsors then it allows you to, to make some money from it and i think that's a it's a really like wonderful system to be able yeah. to actually reward creators I for think. the people who aren't aware on average how many listeners do you have a day um so in terms of live listeners like at the time of listening i would say it ranges between um usually ranges between 200 to 500 and yeah. if you have a that's big, a lot of people yeah if, 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 if I mean, there's certain days too it's like a it thousand, a thousand yeah. plus on big yeah. days but the total listens are like you, you know two three four k plus um because people listen to recordings and stuff nice. so yeah. it's and it's nice too because the youtube yeah. like i it's always interesting to me i i never understand this but like it seems like for whatever reason the space recordings will have like just as many views as the youtube and i just think to myself like who the fuck is listening to the space again in the Twitter app versus going to YouTube? Because like yeah. having the screen up and seeing everybody and then seeing screen shares and when you go into market updates, like seeing fucking charts yeah. and stuff, like it makes a huge difference. I think I think a lot of people, and this maybe includes me sometimes, when you're working at the same time, maybe you want something on in the background and yeah. then you just have the audio. Cause but like, it's like the, the Twitter spaces are so, yeah. like, they're not chronologically sorted. It's like YouTube, it's just like, go to newest, and, oh, it's all right here. It's like yeah. Twitter space, it's like, oh, I bookmarked that tweet so that I could see it later. And yeah. it's like, a lot of people do it, though. Like, it's yeah. in the numbers, because you'll go back a day yeah, later true. and be like, oh, like, over a thousand people listen to it overnight. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Yeah, but, that's true. That's fair. I notice that with like the night show sometimes where it's like you look at the number, you're like, oh, like 750 people tuned in on Twitter. You go to bed and you're like, 1,500 people listen to it. So that means 750 people listen to it overnight, but through Twitter. And then you look at the, the YouTube and you're like, why is that not getting to me? I yeah. don't know. But how do you think like going forward, you have such a busy day? Uh, <laughs> like you're at the point now where you have to like cut out things rather than like yeah. add them. How, I guess you're not really going through the process. I was about to say, like, how are you starting to go through that process? Or what are you thinking about, like, there? Because you yeah. you're basically said you wake up at 6 a.m. and you're on calls to, like, 6 or 7. Yeah. And then you spend, like, two or three hours and then you just run it back. Like, is there a point where you're like, enough is enough? Like, or, like... I think so. Like, I'm definitely not one of those people who are, like, don't sleep two hours, work you know, your yeah. whole life work hard. And to be honest with you, like, I've done that. Like, I, the 10 years I spent in banking, I, I tracked my sleep for the whole time. And oh, no. my average sleep was, like, five hours a night. And, you know, I have many, many, like, two hours and three hours. And, like, I, I used to, I used to be like that. I used to be the guy who's like, yeah, like, I'm never going to sleep. I'm just going to work really hard. And so this might seem light. Yeah. So, like, I'm serious. Well, I, I think I just feel like I did that and I did get burnt out. And when I quit, the whole point of doing that was, like, to have a better lifestyle. And it was good at first, but then, you know, just... It compounds and all of a sudden... It all compounds and suddenly you're doing all these things. And I, I've, recently I have, to be honest with you, felt like that. It's like, you know, I need to take a... Not that I need to take a break, but I need to just change my day where it's less stuff. But I don't want to drop things because I do really believe strongly in all the things that I'm doing. So it's a tough one because the answer is then is like, well, hire more people, have more people, right? But we don't want to raise vc money for um we definitely don't want to do it for rec guy and you know maybe it would make more sense for like if you're building a platform or whatever but um it changes things a lot you know if you if you're starting to like raise money and then you can use that to 
high people. But um, you know, it's a different ball game then. Whereas right now, we kind of feels like like a family operation. You know, it's just like you know, yeah, mom, mom and pop just doing things like handmade, and we just kind of we, we're slower than other people, we're slower than Yuga Labs and all these guys. But you know, we just get things out in our own time in a fun and friendly way, and I, I like that vibe. And there's a lot of I feel like there's a lot of heart in what you guys do as well, yeah. where you can like. You could feel that it was it was you and Mando who did it. It wasn't right. some contractor who you hired to, to plan a party or something. You guys did it. Like, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. So we, I don't want to lose that magic. So it's a tough one because, um, you know, how do we find, how do we then make our lives less busy? But you know, I think the answer is just finding people in the community to help. And yeah, um, do you think you'd ever move to the Caribbean or somewhere where the time zone is more in line with yeah. either Pacific to east coast like i feel like that would be the hardest thing for me being just busy but being busy off the quote-unquote like main hours that's that it's a good question so the nice thing about being in europe is in the mornings because the u.s is not awake no one bothers you yeah no one bothers you and i can go work out i can't i play golf every week basically it's one of my like things i've been trying to do this this year and I had time to do that. And you, have, you have a bit of time to think to yourself before the madness kicks in. But yeah. downside is you finish late and you feel tired at the end of the day. Um, I do sometimes spend some time in the Caribbean when we go see my wife's family. And to be honest with you, like um, the day usually finishes by like 2 or 3 p.m. And then it's like kind of chill. So um, I don't mind that at all. And I can still probably still get away with doing the morning stuff. Um, but she, she, I met her when I lived in New York and she actually wants to move back to the u.s so i don't know we're thinking of maybe like spending half our time there half the time in london um uh, and try to figure out something like that but it's you know getting a visa and green card and all that stuff yeah. is like uh, yeah my my fiance and i lived in spain for two months this past summer oh cool and i feel like with the, there since their culture is so late anyways with lunch and dinner yes it was amazing to work east coast hours we'd get up at like 10 have a, i'd have a couple hours i'd like basically every morning answer all my emails all my messages from the day before because no one is fucking awake yeah and then we'd like go get some coffee we'd go get lunch at like two get back at three it's 9 a.m eastern time i'd have calls till like 8 30 or 9 p.m and then we go get dinner and it was awesome it was like a really nice lifestyle yeah but if you're somewhere where it's not like normal to eat dinner at 9 p.m every day it'd be yeah, tough. It'd be yeah really tough. exactly exactly 9 p.m is late a late dinner in london time yeah <laughs> yeah yeah we did it was funny we did it in in madrid and we we're like wow this is amazing like it's such a nice lifestyle we're gonna try to do this when we go back to new york and all our friends are like not fucking eating dinner at 9 p.m like there's no way (laughs) yeah exactly i feel like with us we were in croatia that was the only taste i got of it but i just found myself up at like 2 a.m 3 a.m and i'm like i'm missing out there's stuff going on like yeah you have to turn off the football watching the monday night football game it's at like fucking 2 a.m dude like i mean summer 21 when it was like the bull market stuff and all the mints were ended up and you know you'd be like yeah, we're missing at like 3 p.m. Eastern time, but then it was like delayed for like five hours. So you'd be there at like 10 p.m. Like, oh, I really hope this is going to be a quick one. And next thing you know, it's like 3 a.m. You've been waiting all this time to mint it. And they're like, oh, we're delaying the mint. We're delaying like, it. Yeah, I was like, yeah. fuck's sake. I've been up all night waiting for it. Um, yeah, I've been there. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good one. I feel like if we could just have one time throughout the whole world and it was just like, it's physically impossible, but it would be a wait nicer experience yeah i yeah i agree i agree i feel like i uh trying to think about what to ask questions on i'm like i want to ask about i have a couple questions i can ask random shit so we have to talk about the board ape stuff a little bit i feel like yeah sure of course so (laughs) 
<laughs> well, I'm, not, like, I'm not going to ask the boring questions. I have, I have more random unhinged questions. Uh, so what, like, what was it about board apes in particular that like led you guys to take such a like high conviction kind of bet on it? Like at that point, because I feel yeah. like you were one of the people wa- where I was watching that. And I, I've, I mean, I've just fumbled generational wealth with board <laughs> apes. I sold two at like three and five ETH. And I was yeah. like, sweet. I made some money. Awesome. Like these are stupid. Yeah. I like my punks. Uh, and watching you guys where you're like, yeah, we have 70 whatever apes and we're not selling. And I was just like, these guys are smart, but I don't fucking get it. Like, I don't know what's going on here. Like where, what was the, what was that conversation? Like what, what made you so convinced? Yeah. It's a funny one because I felt like when we started, we were, you know, we got to know you guys and all the punks and stuff and we got that. And when we went down the eight path, we thought we we're like, oh man, these guys think we're all we're like really dumb, really stupid or something. We, it was quite in that, within that realm, it was a bit contrarian, but um, for us, it started with just like, look, we, understand the whole digital identity thing we understand the pfp thing and right now it's, it's really just punks that like you have, and that like you have 10k punks but really you have like 6k punks because you know 10 of them are lost or whatever and they're quite expensive so like there is absolutely room for like a second place we really felt there was room for a second place so that's how it started and that's why we decided to buy loads of them because it was like it was just when you could see this massive bull run was happening in the summer and we were like, instead of just buying loads of punks, let's just buy loads of apes because like punks could do a two or so three. Like the beta to the, the beta punks, trade, yeah. yeah. But ape, you know, apes could do more than that. You could just see there's this community and stuff. What, so. what price were apes when you you had like seventy two? So, yeah, so like I mean, after I minted them, I sold all of them, yeah. and then <laughs> we reacquired. Originally, it was sixty nine that we reacquired, and they were about three or four ETH, so they weren't like super cheap. But yeah, no, that's that's pretty big bet. I mean, at the yeah. time, were punks. 2025 punks about 2025 yeah because exactly. i made i made a similar call i remember buying an eight for seven yeah and that was around the floor ones. floor might yeah. have been five or seven and punks are like 25 and it's like you know kind of seems more likely that this april double yeah and a punk will let's buy one after i've been shit talking them all these times but anyway exactly. you're buying them for five plus thousand dollars a piece yeah and then they got to like 30 to 35 and to be honest with you we were thinking of selling them we were like you know we should probably get out of this but then we reached out to gordon and gaga and we said hey like we didn't know anything at all um literally sent them a discord message and we're like hey like we own loads of apes like would you guys mind having a call so we can like ask you some questions and that's kind of like what you do when you're like working at barclays you'd like mm-hmm. call the company and like try and like ask them questions and stuff and figure out what was going on so and it was right after the Gaio Siri thing was announced. So, mm-hmm. and honestly, I, we, were, we probably would have sold them in a few days if they didn't take that call. And so we called them and it was like a Discord call. And I remember like we left, we were still working at the time. So we left the office and we're standing on this like random bridge with like Mando's phone on speakerphone. <laughs> they must have been like, what the fuck is wrong with these guys? But, um, and we were just like, you know, like, um, what's the plan with this? Like, what do you guys want to build and stuff? And they're like, look, we can't really say much as to what we're doing. But they said that, they had a lot of VC interest, and this was AC16Z at the time, I'm guessing, but they didn't want to take it. Um, they felt that guy could like open some doors for them and stuff, but it was more just like the way they were speaking and the way they were presenting the information. I was like, I was like, wow, like these guys are like really switched on. And honestly, we thought they were like former management consultants, or like I don't know. We thought, oh yeah, they must be like really big at like Sony or Activision. Like we thought they're like really legit people, not just like um, two random dudes. And we're just like so like, and I like I mentioned like things that i i thought it was the ball case was like oh you could have like like an axie you could have like a blockchain game we could have this like idea of like a web3 brand and like all these concepts were very like new then 
and they were like, yeah, like they were like, they, they were like yeah, like that's we're, we're trying to like you, you know we believe this can be like a big brand and like this idea of like web three brands and just the way that they spoke and how confident they sounded, we both came off the call and we're like, wow, fuck, like these guys are these guys are the real deal and not only do they know what they're doing, they understand how big this opportunity set potentially is. And to be honest with you, that was a game changer. After that, I was just like, shit, like I could just see in my head and they never told us anything about like mm-hmm. what the actual plans were, but I could see in my head, like these are the... Just knew they weren't fucking around. Yeah, you, 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 these are the... But you probably had yeah. talked to a bunch of other project founders by then, right? Yeah, exactly. It was just not, it was not the same. Like these guys mm-hmm. just had this insane vision and um, that gave us the conviction really. And, you know, like, then you had rumors coming out about ApeCoin. You had um, the mutant stuff. You had the other side stuff, and you know that leaked deck and all that stuff. And we were like, yeah, yeah like you know, this stuff is starting to make sense. It fits into it. And the ApeCoin stuff was out for ages. And I remember like the ApeCoin thing. I think people thought it would just go to zero or you know be like a, immediately get dumped. And I was like, it can be a much higher market cap than I think people realize or give it credit for because um, you have A16Z backing it and you have. Um, not much supply released initially. And it's just one of those things like that it doesn't make any sense. And the fact that it doesn't make any sense is it's the, the bull case. It's the bull case. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, like, of course it will be over, not maybe not overvalued, but of course maybe it could be but yeah, no, over, overvalued, like it overvalued. You're yeah, right. I, like, <laughs> so how did you play the ape coin drop? Cause that was like a, well, yeah, I, I want to know that. And I also want to know, did you have a strategy going in Yeah, or was it just like, we're doing it live? So, the strategy, I'll start the strategy. The strategy was um, we had suspicions of uh, an eight coin drop. Then you start seeing the rumors. So we're like, we, we know they're going to do this. And then we heard from a few different people like, yeah, like this thing is coming. So our strategy was let's hold the apes. They'll rally into ape coin and then we'll sell the ape coin and then we'll keep the apes. That was the, that was the plan. And so when ape coin dropped, um, we were trying to work out what the market cap would be and stuff. And to be honest with you, I was coming out at lower than where it was. Um, it was kind of crazy when it launched. It was a little yeah, ridiculous. it was insane. But to, so we had all our apes on a multi sig, and there was no you, the wallet connect thing wasn't working, so I had to claim it directly from the contract. <laughs> so I went to the contract, and the contract's called uh, the function on the contract is called claim grapes. So I'm there, like basically our net worth, like on this multi sig claim I'm, grapes. I'm telling Mandas, like, I've got to just like put this contract into like gnosis and like and claim it i have no idea if i'm gonna like, rug the whole thing or not it's one of those like you know those films where it's like cut the red wire the yeah, blue wire, yeah. so like on the call to mando kind of like shaking and it's like okay click <laughs> and waiting for the transaction to go through and then it went through so we got the ape coin and then you know at the time we were like oh let's sell a little bit and keep some um and then later in the day we were like i was on the phone with mando and we we're like look man like everyone's gonna sell this thing like <laughs> It's probably not going to go up twenty percent. And we were like, it might go up twenty percent, but it won't double. So let's just sell it and take the money. And we hadn't taken any money out of NFT, so it made sense to do it then. So we did. We sold it when it was like around seven, price of seven, which was like about seven million dollars in total, which we sold. Um, and then we're like, yeah, it won't double. We'll be fine. Maybe twenty percent. <laughs> Thing fucking like went to what twenty? Went to like twenty five. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, I was like, oh my god, how much money did we leave on the table? But we didn't. So did you? keep enough to mint like other side stuff yeah so i did i actually bought apecoin back at seven but nowhere near the size that we took out and mando didn't um and so i made i used that to mint i and then i actually did manage to sell it in the 20s so that was a good trade but on way smaller size like way 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 smaller size so it wasn't um as meaningful but yeah like I, i realized that mistake and 
to be honest with you, I kind of have faith. You know, obviously we've sold all our apes now. We sold a lot of our um, NFTs, and we sold the one thing where I have a similar feeling about is other side. It's like we sold like some good land in other side, and I think we sold one or two coders. And I'm like, ah, like that's the one where I feel like there is some upside there. Maybe like maybe it doesn't work out, but maybe they do just nail this game, and suddenly it is like something really good. My coda is my only you get asset. Yeah, I've had it. Since I think that's the one. The to other own. side mint, but like. In my head, there's this really weird world where, like, the game is good and, yeah. like, the code is useful and, like, the ape owners think, I can't use my ape in this game, but I can use a coda. And then, like, a coda goes up three or four X. I'm like, yeah. I don't think that's that crazy. Yeah. I mean, maybe unlikely. I feel the same way. And that's that's the only, like, you know, I feel I still feel fine with everything that we sold. How but... do you feel about the vessels? So now you're and able to... What is it, heavy to... metal? And yeah, all the there's, there's too much now. Too much for yeah. me to follow. Too much for me to so follow. So there's like a sewer pass, and then I yeah. don't know what happened to the pass. That's why we sold the other side stuff. I kind of feel a little lost in the it. sauce. Yeah. Um, I think but... it's... I think, yeah, I think it's... I think it will, will probably work because there's enough people who want to stay on top of it. But for me personally, or for us, it was just too much, which is why we sold. But I was like, shit, maybe we should have held it. But... Was there like a part of you uh, while the blur farming was happening that was just like... You know, you've seen a lot of big sellers throughout NFTs, and usually there's a big impact on floor price. And the blur liquidity was like one of the first times there's yeah. ever real concentration. It's hard to say no to that on the bid Absolutely. side. And then did you was that like the big thing where it's just like Absolutely. we can finally exit and like literally not move the price? Yeah. Uh, we that was, have to. That was literally it. It was actually way more that than having a view on the price action. I think. Yeah. You know, it's like you own all this. You have all this. You know, it's like it's like the joke, right? Where it's like, guy doesn't buy a house but has like his net worth and <laughs> apes, monkey JPEGs, or whatever. And that was like that, kind of like us to an extent. I mean, it wasn't fully us, but but you had seventy apes and yeah, like we had a, lot, uh, a decent yeah. house, but like not a house that is even worth like ten apes or twenty apes. Yeah, exactly. It's just like it was just you know, it was it was kind of like that and. Um, people on old jobs were like, oh, we can never monetize this because if you try and start to sell it, everyone would be like, oh, shit, like, these guys are selling their apes, going to create the floor. And we were aware of that. Like, you know, we knew yeah. that. And we thought, maybe we can sell one every month or just slowly do it. But yeah, sounds like my NBA Top Shot account. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it takes six years yeah. to get exactly. out. <laughs> so when all this liquidity was in Blur, we were, we were watching it. And one day, Mando was like, dude, we can literally sell all our apes. I think the floor was about 71. He was like, we can sell all our apes and just not even move the floor price and get all this liquidity. I was like, I was like, yeah, that's insane. But then we just didn't really think of selling it. But then they went to like 78. And, was, and they're like, we really need. Yeah, we were like, yeah, right, we were like, well. I was like, you know, in our old jobs, like if you have all these risk positions and you've made good money on it, it doesn't count until you've actually got the money, right? Because you're marking your book every day. So if someone came to you, if you made money on something and you had all these positions, someone came to you and said, hey, you can collapse like your entire balance sheet and zero positions and, uh, and you it'll cost you a hundred grand. You'll lose a hundred grand. You'd say, yes. You'd be like, yeah, done. Get me out of it. And it was like, this was that, but we were making money on it. So we were like, yeah, it's just a no brainer. We just have to take it. And um, it was like stressful when we did it. Cause we had them all in different wallets. Cause we were like staking. We had some bend down stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, I said, transfer them all to this wallet. We transferred them all to this wallet. And there was like 57 there. And we had 72. And I was like, man, like where are the other 15, eight? Like, I don't know. I transferred them all there. I was like, so did I. And we're like, what the, f- what the fuck happened? And we realized that when you unstate them from Bendow, they get sent to your hidden folder. So we were like, <laughs> that feeling of relief, I was like, oh, fuck. Like, yeah, like, 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 that's really funny. Yeah, I thought we like, lost a bunch of them. 
Well, so you, go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to say, like, I feel like for most people, when an influencer, a big thought leader sells, it's like a bad event. Yeah. I felt like, and this could be me being completely biased in my friend groups and the groups that yeah. we're in, like, I felt like everyone was happy for you or most people were happy for you. Did you get a lot of hate or vitriol from the ape community or were, is my biased perception right where like in general most people are like you guys fucking nailed it secure the bag let's go yeah no it's a good question because i think um that's something that we were worried about we didn't want people to feel like we're ditching the space and all that kind of stuff because we're we're absolutely not and i was actually surprised by people just saying hey that was a great trade like you know you guys nailed it like a lot of congratulatory stuff i think there were some people saying like oh they these guys dumped their apes and blur or whatever but it wasn't it wasn't anything like there was no like hit thread on us or anything like that you know and i think the way that i view that is i I really feel like ever since the dgens thing we spent so much time in this space trying to be productive or like create education for it where that i think people realize that we have good intentions and at the end of the day like you know we're entitled to take profits like anyone else's and for sure we've never we've never done the thing where we've like um promoted stuff and take paid mints and dumped on people and pumped up we've never done any of that stuff and part of the reason for that is because we've come from a very regulated background where you know that's bad and i think people who do it maybe don't realize it's bad at first but you it is a it's a um a blotch on your record if you like so we've never done any of that stuff anyway so there wasn't really anything like what can people really say like we didn't we didn't like one day say oh like apes are gonna go to 150 and then dump the whole thing we just like held this thing for a year and a half and then sold it and and that's what we did so it's kind of like unfuddable. I mean, you can say, yeah, they dumped all their apes in one go, but like, to be honest, that's not us. We weren't the ones bidding for them, right? If you're bidding for something, you've got to be willing that, to take that's it. That's a yeah. whole other thing. Yeah. I mean, we're seeing that yeah. on Twitter now. Um, you know, we won't name names, but there are certain people who were bidding who maybe not are not bidding now. Yeah. And it's like, you guys are speculating. Like, I always say it's like picking pennies up in front of a steamroller, but it's like a lot of those bidders were just speculating on some and they're putting Gambling. up a lot of money. They're risking a lot of capital for it too. Yeah, a lot. Like for a, for a completely money. like nebulous, unknown, unknown future payday. Anything. Just like, oh, I think I could get some money in the future, and I'm willing to risk tens of millions of dollars <laughs> like, for it. Thousands of ETH. Yeah, it's wild, isn't it's it? It's totally insane. It's wild. Um, you mentioned briefly as you were talking through that you've yeah. sold a lot of NFTs, a lot of your NFTs recently. Yeah. Uh, has a lot of that, you know, outside of just the board apes, come from this? added liquidity from blur or are there other kind of like theses that you have about the space right now that have influenced that yeah i think the most of the stuff we sold was all pfp stuff basically yeah. and we kept all the art so yeah. all the one of ones that we like that like some additions that i you know i bought a punk i bought um a couple of fidenzas and i think a fidenza sold for under 50 the other day yeah i saw that one sold for 81. 80, 82 grand the other day which is even below that so Oh yeah, that's like forty. Yeah. That, I think that, that may be in the. 40th. Yeah, I think it was like forty-one. 40th. Yeah, forty-eighth. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was like two days ago. It was yeah. a forty-one. Well, people know that the, or everyone thinks these Starry Night ones are going to get yeah. liquidated. So, like, especially on the floor, like uh, maybe spirals, micros, certain yeah. pallets are still getting premiums. Yeah. But like a golf socks that's just clean. Is how, like, how many do they own? I think they have thirty. Yeah. Oh wow. Okay. Um, and then they own. They have a lot uh, of a good amount of ringers too. Yeah. Not thirty ringers. No, I, I saw their, their liquidation sheet. I actually probably have it in an email. I can send it to you if you want it. 
Yeah, I'm curious to. It was interesting. To, yeah, yeah, because yeah, I heard a rumors that it was supposed to go at like the end of March, but it's clearly not. No, I, I tried getting in contact with the liquidators and stuff. It's fucking impossible. It's like yeah. a, it's a shit show. It's tough. Uh, it's yeah. they bought a lot at the top. <laughs> like they came in that summer, and it was just like yeah, they they hundred ETH for a that summer, yeah. didn't they? And so selling the most like predominantly PFPs. Yeah. is it mostly? It's it's funny to hear you say that as someone who has a PFP project. Yeah. Uh, it's probably why he's selling the other one. It's like, yeah, no, <laughs> I, I, I'm not saying I, I don't disagree with it. It's yeah. just funny to hear because I yeah, I, course, I knew but... that was going to be your answer. Yeah, uh, but I, I felt like it's a good one to ask for the pod. Yeah, um, sure. Yeah, what's what's your thinking there? I mean, I, I know the answer again, but I'm curious yeah. what you're thinking. Well, is. I think look, um, I think the difference between our between Rec Guy and these other projects is Rec Guy's not a utility thing. It is supposed to be a piece of art. I've gotten all. Damn near more utility from my rec guy than ninety five percent. Well, I think that's the thing is there's no like promise of future utility. There's no promise. Yeah, it's it's no just promise. a surprise every once in a while. Yeah. Of, hey, you get to see a woman have sex with a corn dog. Multiple corn dogs. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> utility. Yeah, there you go. Um, <laughs> we were talking about why selling a PFPs before we brought up the corn dog visual. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just like, you know, a lot of these guys have raised at really high valuations yeah. and they're trying to, they have these conquer the world type roadmaps and they just, you realize the teams that are executing them weren't strong enough really no. to do it. And on top of that, you know, I think everyone's bag holding a lot of the stuff and this liquidity was created by Blur, which wasn't there before. So people were able to start selling things. And, you know, I'm just really bullish on ETH here. I'm really, really oh, yeah. bullish on ETH. Sure. And I feel like, look, I can just own ETH, which I think could ha- potentially outperform a lot of these PFPs and it's more liquid. I can buy and sell it whenever I want and I don't have to think about it. Like if I buy ETH and just put it in a multi-sync and forget about it, I don't have to be like, oh, like is Kevin, does Kevin Rose have a good reputation and yeah. are they going to be able to like execute the proof conference next year yeah. so that the floor price goes up? You don't have to worry about all that stuff and look, if you, if you nail a PFP project or an NFT project, you can make a thousand decks. You may, you won't make that on ETH but you know, when you're playing with larger size, I think it's easier to to do it that way. Yeah. So it was just that really. It was just to totally. like let's get rid of these headaches. Not headaches, but let's get rid of some of these um It's unnecessary risk. And and also <laughs> yeah. it kind of feels like a job sometimes where you have to follow exactly. like, oh fuck, I didn't claim this thing, I didn't do this, and now I just lost out on exactly. what would have been the multiple and yeah. now I'm not getting that anymore. Well we talked earlier about like trying to lighten up the workload and I think yeah getting rid of those distractions allows us to focus more on the stuff that we want to do and, and totally. create and build in this space. So, um, yeah, that was the other thinking behind it, really. Yeah. I also feel like I, I've always kind of felt like PFPs, the ones that are, like, heavily utility kind of focused, especially after they've raised VC capital and you have, like, a private company like a yeah. Yuga, you're really stuck serving two masters Yeah, where, like, you know, board ape holders do not own equity in Yuga Labs. Like... Yeah. At a certain point, there there will probably be decisions or already have been that are made where what is best for board ape holders is not what is best for Yuga Labs. And it's like this interesting contention. And then like ApeCoin, not to only pick on them. I think this is a problem for like every PFP every project raised, that yeah. is that is in this similar position. But like, you know, Yuga Labs now has board ape holders and ApeCoin holders who in no way are tied to each other other than this strange farming of more ape coins. Yeah. And then also a company that has private equity money. And so it's like these three different groups of people who you're trying to make all of them happy, but they all have different incentives. And it just feels like a, this kind of like very easy to collapse crazy yeah. tower of, of people you owe things to or feel like you owe things to. Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah. now and now it's even more like you're saying we got fucking 
the sewer passive with the heavy metals with the fucking vessel legend of mara or upgrading yeah. like there's I, a lot yeah there's like a hundred thousand vessels yeah that i don't know it's what for all do. their it's for all the hundreds of thousands of people in nfts they have to <laughs> i mean they're building for a community that we don't have yeah um yeah. but you know maybe, maybe it's visionary maybe in five years we'll be like oh fuck man they, they did it yeah and, and that's great for all of us yeah. like they yeah. really fucking oh wait i want to talk about mando's not here to, to defend himself i want to talk about his contentious yuga <laughs> yeah. tweet that's that's exactly what i just thought of now. yeah right when he said that all right was he being 100 percent serious um i think there was some elements of him being serious too was he mm-hmm. did he mean it in that hyperbole i don't think so but um i think his point was like look if like if you have what's the biggest thing in the space fail um they've probably failed because they've either messed up or because there's not enough demand for it. And if it's the latter thing, then that's bad for everything, basically. Yeah. So, um, you know, like, if you go with all their um, community and fans can't pull off something like this, then it's like, well, you know, who, who else, how is anyone else going to have a good shot to do it? So, I think that's the point he's trying to make. But yeah, yeah the, way you, you, the way he phrased it was like... <laughs> yeah, the way he phrased it lends it to being dunked on. I, I agree. Like, the underlying point of, like, hey, it would be bad if Hugo went broke. Yeah. I, like, completely agree with I mean, it. It would be pretty bad if, like apple went under yeah, like, yeah. Like, like it's not great <laughs> right. for everybody yeah. else that apple's got yeah it's just like if you said if apple goes under we'll never have cell phones again <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> cell phones will be set back that's like how he phased it yeah. <laughs> and i do i was like man does a smart guy he doesn't mean what he said here Alexander Graham Bell but it's too easy to make fun of him <laughs> it was too easy yeah, yeah. that's a great copy pasta <laughs> No oh, man. So uh, we like, are at like two thirty, by the way. Oh I think. shit! So we yeah. haven't even really yeah. talked as much. I think about the art side, <laughs> artist. Yeah. We've got a I'll lot of time. Yeah, if you want to go. Yeah, through, if yeah. you have more time, yeah. we have all all time in the world. Yeah. So yeah, I guess I'd love to hear a bit more about like you're you're doing DJ and you're doing all this stuff. When was it kind of in all, in that whole period of time where you were like, hey, I'm doing all this other stuff, but I also think I want to be selling artwork. Was that prior? To, I'm not sure when you like minted yeah. your first piece. It's a good question. I never wanted to like really sell art to become an artist and like make money from it i yeah. think um you know i used to create a lot of art when i was younger and when i first got into nfts i wanted to start creating things but i just saw how good the shit was and like um you know in 10 years it moved on so much i was like man like i'm never going to be able to make anything anyone's ever going to want but um i started getting like itchy fingers and stuff i was like i just want to like draw again and like you know get an ipad and see see what it's like to draw and procreate rather than drawing on a piece of paper um so i did it i did it in like september 2021 and i think the first thing that i minted was just like picture of i guess like what is now known as rect guy just like mm-hmm. holding this coffee mug that says gm and i was just like playing around with like putting some candles and stuff in it and just i was like yeah whatever like it's just i'm just did it to do it and i just minted it and i think someone bought it for like 0.5 eth and i was like oh that's that's quite cool like someone actually i didn't like tweet about it much or anything i didn't like shillings i didn't want to be like oh, I'm, I'm buying this because it's like an influencer thing um and the guy like who bought it just like yeah i just really, really liked how it looked i was like oh that felt really cool that like someone liked the way it came out or looked and they wanted to like buy it um were you were you drawing the character before you minted him or were you like like i could see you at your old job like doodling this character that's, that's when that's the first time i drew it yeah i was yeah. actually i was i just moved to a different role so i was trading middle eastern credit and I was like trying to learn as about we all do. Yeah, as you all do. I was trying yeah. to learn about Tunisian politics. I was like, man, this is so boring. <laughs> so I just started and you can actually see like on the I've got the original thing that I drew. So you can see like I start writing down like Lebanon Prime Minister, then like 
Lebanon deputy prime minister. Then, then there's like this wreck guy. <laughs> so, so I like, <laughs> you still have that? I still have that. Yeah, That's actually, it. I left it in the office when I left, and then I was like, shit, I should get that back. And I asked one of my friends if it's in my desk still, and they actually got the uh, original awesome. thing. So I still have that. Um, and then I was like, oh, wouldn't it? Let me try and recreate this on like um on an ipad and just see if i can do it so that's where that character came from it wasn't called Rex guy or anything but i just liked it was meant to be semi-autobiographical so it's like hey here's me like trading or like doing some degen thing um but like it's a skull because skulls are cool and badass um, yeah and it's, it's yeah and it's, it's translucent because i think the idea but the ideology behind it is like well when you're in a corporate job, you're like there going through the motions, doing the shit every day, but you could sort of become a bit soulless and you lose yourself a bit. And I think that's where like the skull death translucency, which means like no soul, like that stuff came from really. So, um, so yeah, then I just started putting that in like everything that I drew really. And then that came out a couple months after DJ, like that, 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 yeah, that about, piece. Yeah. So at what point after that, were you like, wow, I could just do the art for Breck guys. Like, myself like that was yeah. pretty quickly after yeah i think um i'm trying it's all a blur in my head yeah, but i'm no, like i think basically yeah, like, like maybe like a year after the genesis agree. maybe Anything i don't remember from like when comp farming started to like <laughs> 2020 2020 july sometime is all just like a fucking blur in my head at this yeah. point i have no idea what i feel like it's weird looking back at like uh t-rex like dinosaur fossils and you're like oh yeah. this happened and the Cambrian explosion. This happened in <laughs> the pre Prezoic era. Like that's how I feel like with NFTs, but it's like a span of two weeks. So it, was like, it was actually last week. There was like, oh, the the generative art explosion of 2021, and it was like six <laughs> weeks of just like five to ten million dollars per drop in a Dutch auction. Yeah. And it's like that's how I think about. It. So I'm like, all right, you're making it. Like Toads just came out roughly. You put this one on one out. Somebody buys it. They're like, "I like it." You're like, "Shit!" Like maybe there's something more. So was here. it just fixed price, or was it an auction? It was an auction, like zero. I always did my auctions at zero reserve because I just like whatever. And was it on foundation? It was on foundation, yeah. And then I just like, you know, I, I did one every two or three weeks. Um, when I thought of a new idea, I just like draw it, and I think it's they just started to slowly trade higher and higher. And then I think what really changed it for me is when Mooncat bought one of them. And then you know what Mooncat's like? Like he'll buy oh. one, then he'll buy another, then he'll buy another, then he'll tell the whole world about it. And, and now he has a thread. Yeah, and then he has and a now thread. he has a thread of a thread. It is yeah, exactly. Twenty-seven tweets exactly. about. He knows more about you than you do at this point. Like he just <laughs> wrote up your whole biography yeah. in a thread, and it's like this guy right here. But, but no, Mooncat bought a few. Yeah, but I, I was, you know, like I think, um, you know, his style is definitely um, can be contentious, but you know, at the same time, he was someone that just like bought originally bought one of ones from me because he liked them and there was no promise of anything then and yeah. he bought a few of them he bought you know like four or five of them for one ETH each at the beginning and then i think after that people started to see he was obviously you know told you know how art works you tell yeah. your friends and oh 100 percent mooncat's very good at it i think um it, yeah. the only person so i think a mooncat is like uh the yeah yeah of all nft markets <laughs> so like yeah yeah was very 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 good at selling narratives for one-on-one yeah. crypto art yeah and mooncat is kind of like the more degenerate version of him yeah i who, see that who does it for one-on-ones editions open edition burns like it's yeah. all but it's very similar. Like he's very good at sharing narratives repeatedly. Yeah. Like he got us to buy like a Batsu piece in a sense where 
he was talking about it drew my attention to it then i started talking to the artist and i was like oh we need this yeah but he brought it and then showed a bunch of people like hey this is sick shit yeah yeah exactly so that was a, and that was before super rare or it, was that that was before i was on super rare yeah. okay yeah um and i think then i just applied to super rare i, like, I met the super rare guys when i was in denver and it was a bit of a weird one because i, I didn't want to just be like oh i've collect, spent all this money on super rare, put me on so i just went through the normal application process and just sent my video and stuff and then i just told super rare, I was like, hey by the way i sent an application and it t- they didn't approve it straight away it took me like two or three months to get on just like it took most artists back then yeah. um and yeah then i had pieces in super rare and then like it started to spiral and i think the moment where it really took off is when 888 just phone into one of one chad yeah as he's known to do yeah, yeah. which mooncat sold to him by the way as a mooncat is my super genesis that mooncat bought for 11e and then sold to 888 for like 82.88 ETH. that's when Oof. eth was like 3.5k or something so it was like that's still my all-time that that yeah. the the royalty dollars. from that auction is almost the price yeah the initial piece literally sold yeah for. yeah that's kind of a mindfuck so how how has it gone from then or like how how has it been since the the massive sell because like i saw you at work at art dubai yeah and like yeah that was sick that was talk cool. about that more yeah that was cool so i just got speaking to these guys called art and space and they had this full like immersive 360 display and they're like do you want to do a piece for it i was like sure but i've never like done some and i always find this with the art stuff because i, I, don't, I don't have like a career in it when someone asks you to do something and most times i say no but when it's something really cool i'm like yeah but like i've never done this shit before so I, i'm gonna have to figure it out um and i only draw from my ipad so i'm like here like drawing on my ipad like zooming in massively to like create this huge thing um but it ended up working out really well i had to like make it into a video and use every premiere and all this stuff that i'd never used before um so that was a really good learning experience but um it was cool like i think art needs to be displayed in, in a in a good way especially for this crypto art, art stuff to, to take off and so anything where someone's like we're gonna have like a good display and like gonna present it as like a contemporary art thing and not an nft thing i'm like yeah like, that's what we need for this space to grow and so yeah i just did it and it was in they had an exhibition in dubai during art dubai which by the way we should all go to next year because it was yeah. really sick and i think there'll be more crypto nft i feel like there's forwards. more and more of an art scene going on do i we talked to brian brinkman yeah. a bit big, about it i think he big was crypto there. scene a lot of og art blocks and crypto guys are in dubai yeah well, so. Kira. taxes are uh, yeah. taxes will bring you places you know yeah exactly funny <laughs> funny how that yeah. works yeah it's one of those things where i've never been in the middle east i know i'm like a pothead i'm a little like, yeah uh, don't yeah literally uh, yeah, zero yeah, drug, get... yeah zero drugs there <laughs> killed yeah. you should up. do your like one month but... yeah like for our dubai <laughs> yeah, exactly yeah dubai's a cool city though it's it's interesting because it like it feels it's so sterile in a lot of ways because there's not a ton of like culture that's kind of yeah. been there for forever and yeah it's very wealthy yeah and it's so much of it is synthetic. Like, so Ali's parents lived there for like right. a year. And so I went and visited and they were like on the palm. And so like, it's literally like fake land that they yeah. made yeah. that like is shaped like a, like, like a the palm, palm fronds. Yeah. And it's like just like in the middle of the water, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's so like every house is on the water. It's like this massive it's place. Like, I think I've seen it. It's almost like you can like ride a bike through like the whole thing in like a big half circle or something. And then they all go out like this, but then it's connected by a house. Or maybe I'm this. Yeah. 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 No, I, I think that's, that's right. Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. I was just trying to visualize what you were I think, saying, like, I, I think I feel like right. Instagram, like it's like yeah. the tourist. That's definitely, like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's the one. That's but yeah, one. so it's just like, 
yeah, it's, it's a cool city. It's really interesting because there's like there's no, you know, there's some amount of like the Middle East culture there and all yeah. that, but a lot of it just kind of feels like other people from all over the world, all yeah, around, absolutely. in a way that like feels you know a lot like London or New York, where it's just yeah. very very multicultural in that way. Yeah, but it doesn't have that like native soul to it kind of and so i could see it wanting to bring in more and more art to add more character and and a lot of that is interesting I mean, speaking of like native soul too do you or your family ever go back to bangladesh so my parents were just there um a couple of weeks ago actually i've not been back since 20 2008 okay so a long time quite a minute. yeah you I mean, felt like a, a yearning to go back at all or? yeah i mean we mainly used to go to see my grandparents but they passed away 15 years ago, and um, on my dad's side, my mum's side, they actually live in the US. So, oh, so there's really but not. Like... Funny you meant to bring it up because my cousin's getting married next year in Bangladesh, so we'll be going back for the first nice. time in a long time. That'll be fun. Yeah, I, I bring I NFTs a... to Bangladesh. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I was like another. I heard something about like NFT uh, Bali. I yeah. think it's like I feel like that'd be fun. Yeah, it's a thing coming up somewhere soon. Someone yeah. asked me if I was going to it this week. <laughs> it might have been at like one of your events where someone's like. Yeah, you ever hear NFT Bali? It was one of the Australians that I was talking uh, to. They're like, oh, yeah, it's like a six-hour flight to Bali. And I'm like, oh, man, that must mean it's like a 30-hour flight yeah, for us. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. With like three stops or something like that. <laughs> but, I mean, anywhere where we can get an excuse to travel, to talk yeah. more about I mean, this Bali, stuff. Bali, I've never been, but it looks sick. It I've looks- been once. It's amazing. It's really yeah. cool. Like, I, I feel like, yeah, we should go to Dubai. You can see Kylan Zoo there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> is, that, is that the first thing you Hang did? out with the boys. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> had, a, had a powwow. Yeah. VVD, come in. Yeah. We, 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 after, <laughs> after we relaunch FTX, then we'll relaunch 3AC. Yeah, <laughs> we'll get yeah. it going. <laughs> oh, man. Um, Do you feel, like, optimistic? Long Like, you came into the space at a time where, like, shit was just starting to really get crazy. Yeah. And now it's quieter. And you're someone who's hosted more and more events at each event that I've gone to. So, mm-hmm. like, you get a good taste of the space. Like, do you feel generally optimistic about everything that's going on, even though, like, yeah. you just said, like, you know, you sold most of your PFPs, yeah. sold the apes. Like, how are you looking di- differently between, like, you know, the PFPs that were sold and, yeah. like, your outlook on this space over the next, like, five or ten years? Yeah, look, I'm definitely a Haas bluff. bluff. <laughs> Haas? last half full uh kind of person and i actually spent a lot of my time when i was trading being bearish and even though i was right sometimes i actually never made the money for it i was like if i was just bullish the whole time we'd way more money so i changed my way of thinking and i think the same thing of the nft space i think look like you sell things sometimes to take profits and um you reallocate that capital into something that you think will do well and for me that was in this case eth and I think the NFT space will do really well and will thrive and will, will be amazing, but you really have to differentiate between NFTs taking off and doing well versus your bags taking off and doing well. And you know the notion that NFTs become uh, a huge part of our lives in 10 years is not, doesn't equate to the same thing as like apes should be worth, you know, 10 million, 10 million uh, buck yeah. dollars <laughs> yes. in 10 years, right? Does it equate to famous cultural historical art pieces being worth a lot more in 10 years i think potentially yeah i think there's an argument to say yes um so it's just a case of like reallocating things to express that view and um for me it's like i want I, you know you you either want to like it's just like the age-old thing you either want to like buy the gold or sell the shovels right and i think um 
or or build the shovels and create them or buy the shovel like shovels whatever it is like you want to be in the shovel zone i think the tool industry yeah the tool industry i think that's what we're trying to like lean towards being in more in terms of like where our money is or where our focus is um and i think a lot of projects will do really well i think people who come up with smart ideas who are innovative um who are artistic creative will have really really successful nft projects that will do very well it's just very hard to pick them because you're picking out a lot of different things and i think it's like picking a needle in the haystack and um you know i'm 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 losing my like faith in my ability to pick those things now needles yeah yeah that's how i felt after seeing nakamigos i was like oh shit like i I don't get it (laughs) this is what i'm out of touch same yeah Yeah. literally i'm I'm out of touch and (laughs) and you know maybe that's how you felt about us when you'd been in the space with the punks yeah and and maybe now i I was thinking that the other day like now i'm like what what d's was like when i was like the class of 21 it's like now the class of 21 is no longer cringe. Like, the class of 23 is, like, yeah. super cringe. I mean, everyone's looking, like, I literally have people in my comments who are like, yeah, like, Dee's talks a lot about getting in the punks Discord and, like, meeting people and talking about the space. And, like, that's me in the Nakamigos Discord. And I'm like, yeah. I don't know if, like, I would call the Nakamigos Discord the epicenter for all yeah. NFT conversation. Like, the punks Discord literally was in its time. But, like, everybody's trying to justify the narrative of, like, the upside on this thing could yeah. be infinity. Yeah. And, yeah. like, the less they know. One thing uh, I want to ask you about, you talked a lot about ETH. Yeah. Do you hold any Bitcoin over ETH or are you strictly I'm ETH? strictly in ETH. Um because I do think ETH will outperform Bitcoin in the long run. I know it hasn't been that way this year. Mando actually owns some Bitcoin, but he is a bit more of a short-term mindset. So I think he had that trade and then he's probably, he may even switch back into it now. I don't know, but um, I don't own any Bitcoin. It's not because I don't believe in it. I just think ETH will outperform. Um, it's as simple as that, really. I just like to be concentrated. Yeah. I, yeah. I feel I've, like that's I've, one thing you learn is concentration. Yeah. Come back and forth on this. I am now, I think, like, 40% liquid Bitcoin, 60% liquid ETH. <laughs> yeah. Fucking, that was a month or two ago I made that call. Yeah, it was, cool. it was more yeah. on the ordinal stuff. And I'm yeah, like, oh, yeah. they're like doing stuff ordinals on are cool. Bitcoin. Like, yeah. I don't love the ordinal dude who like created them, who's like taking a video of his camera app as he dances through the lens. <laughs> and, like <laughs> shit posting about Yuga and all this shit. But like the tech, part was interesting it was the first time in my whole time i think being in crypto i think yeah that i thought like holy shit like bitcoin actually did something innovative yeah and it's not like you know you mint something on OpenSea or manifold and i can go rug the metadata it's like that shit's inscribed on that sat and like it's not going anywhere and it's like okay that's it's interesting so that was the the moment where i was like let me just Smart. Slide some back. And then there's the also um, the comment from the SEC where they're like, yeah. Bitcoin isn't, proof of stake is. And I'm like, you know, if they just say some dumb shit that yeah. causes the market to react stupidly, like, just want some Bitcoin. Yeah. And that, that was kind of what led me to change. But it was for a while, from like 2020 up until like a couple months ago, I was only ETH. Yeah. And then it was very recently. And yeah. also, like, you look at the, the ETH Bitcoin chart, and it's just been, like, ETH has just been wrecking Bitcoin for, yeah. like, a couple of years. And you're like, yeah, maybe they will, like, mean revert a little bit. I yeah. don't know. But I'm always curious because I feel like most people we talk to are mostly ETH. Yeah, I'm, I'm all ETH. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I guess 
more questions about the crypto bear market in general. This is you said you bought crypto for the first time in 2021, right? Yeah. So this has been your first time kind of first crypto bear market. Yeah. Yeah. Has there been anything that surprised you that that really stands out or is it about what you expected? I think to be honest with you, it's yeah, you know what surprised me? Um I feel like lots of people have been through crypto winters and crypto bear markets and there's a lot of information about it and you could talk about 2018 or like 20 um 2015 or whatever yeah. it was yeah and this has kind of been like the same thing and they always say like yeah that it was really bad but i either just held or i you know dc had an average down and then i made like sh- a shitload of money on the next run and i use that for like my thinking i was like okay cool like last year i was like okay i should just be buying as much as i can or dcaing i, I started dcaing too early i started dcaing at 2800 so um, but you know that's went, how it goes when you DCA. That's that's the whole. That's why you do. <laughs> that's why you do it. And don't spend yeah. all your money. So I DCA'd all the way down to like nine hundred. So I got like some really good levels last year. And I was like, cool, I'll just do that. Hold, be disciplined. Don't firm at higher levels. Like don't sell too early. Um, and that worked really well because of, of listening to other people. So mm-hmm. I guess what surprised me is like the amount of people, people who've been through multiple cycles who just don't do that. Yep. And it should really just be the most easiest thing. It's like. All you have to do is like write down the prices you're going to buy at, write down how much you're going to buy, have the money aside, and just do it. It's just have a plan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then don't deviate from it. And yeah. people, and to be honest with you, I deviated from it once um, in this whole time. And that was when the whole SVB thing happened. And I mm-hmm. sold 100 ETH and I almost sold a lot more, but luckily it was like unaccessible because I thought that was like really bad shit. And then. The next day, I was like, oh, this is going to get resolved. And I bought back the 100 ETH. I lost 10% on it. I was really, but I was so pissed because I was like, damn, like, I just, I did what... Um, you let your emotions Yeah, get the best and that was there. like, that was the low. Like, yeah. since then, ETH has like ripped 40% to 2100, right? So I was like, man, like, even like the moment when I finally break, that is the low. And I think that's, for anyone listening to this, like, that moment where you're like, I'm breaking, like, I'm going to sell or... Um, yeah, but abandoning I'm, my plan. I, yeah, abandoning plan. I've always that found is, that's the best way is just counter trade yourself. Exactly. Whenever you're like, fuck, man, if it keeps going down, I'm going to really wish I had yeah. sold. When you're at that point and you're actually like about to click sell, that's when you're like, no, Don't do, do not Stop do doing it. it. Yeah, stop. Don't <laughs> yeah. touch it. Yeah, yeah. and I, I think the other good thing talking about like DCAing is so like I had an instance back when this was, fuck, like June of of last year when yeah. ETH like flash crashed down to like 800 yeah. something, 900. NFT NYC last year. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I was oh at a, I was at a wedding and I like literally had money. I had like a lot of money in FTX, RIP FTX, but at the time in FTX, <laughs> just like waiting. And for some reason I didn't have like an open order. I yeah. just like had a lot of money that was like ready to buy ETH. And I was like, it's going to flash crash at some point and I'm going to buy it. Yeah. And I was at a wedding. And so like, I just wasn't able to buy it because I wasn't at my computer. And like, I think it's just another great example of like, yeah, you can have this idea of, Oh, it's going to flash crash and I'm going to get the absolute best price ever. But if I instead just that entire time it had been going down, had been yeah. buying and buying and buying, yeah. I would have been better off for it. Yeah. And you could also just set the order on an exchange. Like if you, yeah, that was just me being an idiot. If you had the money on FTX and you wanted to buy it at $1,100, you could have just been like, all right, here's my buy order for $1,100. Yeah. It's, like well, a, it's also the greed of like, Oh, what if it goes lower? What yeah. if it goes to 900? Yeah. It's the comment that I think, which has now become a meme, which is like, I'm waiting for the capitulation. And it's really yeah. like, I think, Andrew Kang or who somebody tweeted like, you know, there's two types of capitulation. There's capitulation selling 
and then capitulation buying. Yeah. And that's like you want to be selling into capitulation buying buying. and you want to be buying the capitulation selling and it's like there's like layers to it Mm because i think right now you're gonna see the capitulation buying start to happen if it hasn't already when eth goes past 2k because you had people who like it's going to 500 it's going to 300 last cycle it went down 90 whatever percent so if i map that out one to one this cycle the price is gonna be like 276.9 dollars in which case i will buy it all did did you guys see that a uh, thread I retweeted that I wrote in July of last year. You, you, you've got to read it. I don't okay. think so. Yeah, you've you got to read it after this, but it's basically like, I just made up like a fictional story about someone who like sold NFTs and then like bought NFTs when ETH was really high, sold them when ETH was really low, shorted ETH at 900. But then like I did like the extended but I feel like I, I, I might have yeah. read this. It was So I wrote it last year and the next part of the story was like, you get really bearish and you short, you get liquidated, you don't touch ETH gets to 1500 you're like oh i'm still really bearish everyone's wrong gets to 2k like oh like what the hell's going on and then you come back and you actually turn bullish at 4k and buy it back but um and then it goes down yeah but i retweeted that because i was like everything that i wrote in it like weirdly has played out to the levels but mm-hmm. it's, just, it's just so true because like you know people people are like oh you know what i'll wait till the markets are better to buy it's like cool but like when the markets are better the prices are higher so you're just saying you want to sell yeah. sell low and buy high yeah without realizing that's what you're saying um and it is so basic but it's a I mean, it took me, like someone who works in investment back trading, years to understand that. You know, it's not an easy. It's weirdly because it's not like it's not emotionally how you yeah, like. You don't agree with counterintuitive. It. Yeah, yeah, counterintuitive. It's very it's gonna hard feel to bad. Yourself. It's gonna feel bad. Yeah. It still feels bad. Yeah, like, it, it still and, feels like, bad doing it. You've been doing this for a dozen years plus. Yeah. You've made the mistakes when you're 17, 16, 18. Still learned from it. You're yeah. in your 30s now, and you're still like human psychology is a fucking Dude. bitch. You're there, you're there when, like, last year when, like, East hitting, like, 1,900. Okay, cool, like, put in another 10K, put in another 20K, and, and I'm just like, fuck, like, if it goes to 400, I'm just like, <laughs> I, like I've, like, lost How, my... You're like, wait, am I going to have another 30K to put in if it yeah. goes all the it's way like, down? Do we just when, sell the house? Like, what, yeah, what, what so when your do? bank balance starts going down, you start, you start being like, oh, shit, like, yeah. what? I don't know, I can take another 20% hit, but if it goes down to 50%, I'm going to be like, fuck. And then as you think about it, like, do you dca out after certain levels like okay yeah. you're like hey i started buying in at 2800 i bought down to 900 yeah. uh you know maybe when it hits like 2500 i'm gonna take five percent and whatever like yeah. do you have that in your head as well and then yeah got- i mean obviously markets change interest rate changes and then yeah. that changes momentum and then that has a whole other effect but like i'm assuming you have some type of mental model of this is up a lot. I got to take a chunk out. Oh, this is up even more. I got to take a chunk out. Because that's the second important part yeah. about I'm really bad at. DCA. It's like you get a good bag and you get a nice cost basis, but it's like, how do you get out? And you yeah. don't always have that eight moment where you're like, no. yeah. this is it. Yeah. No, yeah. I think um, the way that I structured myself after all this NFT stuff, like, let me take out enough fiat money that I'm never going to put back in. And I just like have it for like living expenses. Yes. And then... Um, this is what I'm going to DCA out of from the ETH that I have. And 5K, I'm going to sell 10%. But then I'm going to go, I'm just going to like go for it. 5K, I'm going to sell 10%. 10K, I'm going to sell 10%. So that's my next level. 20K, I'm going to sell 10%. Because I really, really, and you'll call me crazy. No, no. I, I mean, I think you're, I think all... you're sitting with the right people. No, okay, I, yeah, yeah, I really think ETH is going to go to like, and it's not going to be this year or probably not Like 100 year. ETH in my head is like a million dollars. So like when yeah. I look at that yeah. right now and I'm like, oh, I can buy something for 100 ETH or like I could buy 100 ETH for 210K. I'm like, yeah, 
this looks like a million dollars to me Absolutely. in a few years. Like, I don't know yeah. if it takes five years or something, but yeah. And I think that there's what like something that we haven't actually like said the words of, but just like having a long term mindset. Yeah. Where like you have this conviction of I think that this will go up over time. Yeah. And I want to be in this position, but I don't need it to be tomorrow. I'm not doing this because I need to make a 10x tonight so I can exactly. pay my rent or something. Exactly. Being being in the position where you can say I don't know when, but I really feel that this will happen. Yeah. It gives you such an advantage over the market yeah. and just like over the average participant who is does not have that Absolutely. luxury. Yeah. Just, like it could take 10 weeks, it could take 10 years. Like you don't. Yeah. Well, the thing is you hear you hear all these stories about it's like, "Oh, hey, my mate made like Hundred grand in two days from this. He bought Sheba. Yeah, and people wanted. He these, longed like, Doge on the Twitter. Yeah, <laughs> he had page. Elon on alert. So then when <laughs> Elon switched the icon to Doge, he took his mortgage. Exactly. And then he went fifty x long on Binance with a VPN, and then he cashed <laughs> exactly. out exactly. fifty houses. Like it's yeah. so simple. People want people want to make a quick buck without understanding that, you know, you have to be in it and you know, kind of like grind it out a little bit and mm-hmm. spend spend some time believing in your trade but that's how i think people make generational wealth and that's how you know all these bitcoin guys that crushed it like that's how they made so much money they just they didn't sell early like they held on to it and um they were smart and patient about dcaing so yeah there are definitely times where i just don't let my winners run it's like 50 percent all right it's up 2x i I take 50 percent out it doubled and then it's like holy shit i just watched it run another 10x yeah but uh we are coming up toward i think your hard stop yeah yeah uh we have a question we ask everybody it is if you were to write an autobiography what would the title of it be i would say i would call it my life in my head my life in my head yeah what what is some meaning behind that i i say i think um and this is probably true for a lot of people but i think everyone has like a perception of me or like they might think this or rsf this or that and i think i actually probably view myself very differently or view the things that i do or the outlook I have very differently to the way other people do it, but I'm not very vocal about it. I don't really say anything about it. So I think if I ever like wrote an autobiography, I'd be like, this is actually, this is actually what I'm thinking in my head mm-hmm. about the things that I'm doing or who I am, or what I am, um, which wouldn't, I'm not saying it would be surprising, but it would be like a different angle than I think people really realize. Um, and yeah, that's why I would call it that. No, I love nice. that. I like it. I can, I can see where you're coming from, too. Like, when I look at you, I look at someone who's, like, very well-rounded. It's yeah. like you do everything <laughs> from, like, being generally fit to, like, liking sports, but then also being a trader and investor and then also a creator, but then also, like, an entrepreneur. An entertainer. Like a businessman. <laughs> but then, like... You uh, are. You can laugh at it, but it's true. No, it's like you do <laughs> you all... You host a like radio just... show, man. <laughs> I don't know what i So it would be curious to see, like, how you look yeah. at... You know, I'm sure some of the things we think are strengths, you might look at and be like, oh, that's a fault in my head. Or like, there's like, yeah, sort of thing. exactly. Literally exactly that. Like, anxieties that I, I may have that people don't think I have, but maybe come up in a certain way where it just kind of works. But it's like, oh, I just kind of like wink that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, maybe maybe one day we'll have the autobiography. and Hey, all right. will be I'll be reading Looking it. Looking forward to it. But dude, thank you so much for this. Yeah. Uh, I've been, pleasure, uh, I think like three events, four events with you this week. Yeah talked more to you here than all those events combined 100 it's nice to be able to do it and and uh and chat properly yeah is there anything if you want to talk about anything this will probably come out in the this summer is gonna at some be point like so it'll be a bit but is there anything you want to highlight or anything um no not really i think uh yeah i think it's just nice to come out here and and, uh, and shoot the shit and uh, and chat basically so, yeah thank you for doing this yeah, yeah thank course, you guys awesome. yeah thanks for, thanks for having me all right it's been great